And we are on air for Fan for Racing's NASCAR Weekend Preview. And we will be previewing both the Daytona and the WWT Raceway at Gateway races this weekend. Joining me is our co-host for tonight, and that is Jay Huseman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you, Sharon. Great show we got lined up tonight. Again, that great weekend of racing, so excited about it. Without a doubt. Okay, now we first in the first half hour, we will preview the combination race for the Arkham Menard Series in the Arca East at WWT Gate, Raceway at Gateway, along with the Truck Series race at Gateway. So both of those previews will happen during that first half hour. Next, at 9 o'clock, our guest is Zane Smith, and he's going to join the conversation. We'll talk about his win last weekend at Dover, as well as uh, his thoughts about the truck race that's going to be at WWT Raceway at Gateway this weekend. So uh, after that, then we will get into the NASCAR Xfinity and the Cup Series races at Daytona International Speedway. And uh, we'll give you the previews for both of those races. Then, of course, it should be, by that time, it'll be 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time, which means that it's time for NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off with our Fan for Racing crew. And we are going to have a full house tonight, Jay. Yeah, excited about that. I saw everybody was on board tonight. I know uh, everybody's got a busy schedule, but it's always great to have all the whole crew here tonight for Hot Topics. Yes, indeed. Okay, so let's go ahead and get into the Arca Menard Series uh, and the Arca East that are both racing at the same race at uh, WWT Raceway at Gateway. What's going to be cool about this is you've got rivalries in both of those series. You've got Sam Mayer, number one in the series point standings, versus Ty Gibbs, who is number two in the series point standings, and that's in the East. In the wet, I'm sorry, in the Arkham Menard series, you have Michael Self, who is first in the series points, versus Brett Holmes, who is second in those points, and both of those battles are very tight. So everybody wants to get that win at Gateway this weekend. Well, and that's to say nothing of the Sioux Chief showdown uh, that will also be a factor here as that battle is also very uh, tight. I believe it's 14 points uh, amongst the top six. Exactly. That will be the seventh round of the Sioux Chief Showdown. So uh, very exciting. We did talk to Jesse uh, Love on Monday, and he's going to be in this race at Gateway as well. It's the Dutch Boy 150 Saturday night. And uh, you can watch that at 5 p.m. Central, 6 p.m. Eastern. And uh, it will also air live on MAP TV. And if you're a Track Pass member on NBC Gold, you can listen there. Uh, you can see the live streaming. And you can also uh, listen on MRN Radio. So uh, lots of ways for fans to check out this race on uh, Saturday. And you definitely want to catch it, no matter what you're doing, how you got to get to it. You definitely want to see it. Okay. Uh, now, 
Sam Mayer was cruising to the final lap en route to his very first Arkham and Art Series win last June until he wasn't. It was a bump and a run from Ty Gibbs in turns three and four that moved him up the groove and allowed Gibbs to skate by and claim his very first series victory. Well, now they're going to return this weekend ready to continue their back and forth. Mayer's coming off his Arkham and Art Series East win at Dover just this past weekend in which Gibbs led a race-high 104 laps before cutting a tire and ending his day abruptly. So uh, since that ARCA race at Gateway, Mayer has seven wins, four seconds, five-thirds, 22 starts across the Arca Menards East, Arca Menards Series, the East, and the West Series. Gibbs, well, he's got seven wins, five seconds, and two-thirds in 22 starts. Uh, and that's just one of the rivalries we'll watch this weekend. Well, if it were just those two uh, headlining the race, but it's not. You also have Self and Holmes, who are separated by just 15 points in the Arkham Menard series. Now, Holmes had whittled the gap down considerably before Self's historic win at the Daytona Road Course gave him that season sweep at the World Center Racing and a little bit of breathing room, if you can consider 15 points breathing room at all. <laughs> Self won the general tire pole award last year at Gateway, but an axle issue limited him to just 85 laps and left him in 13th place. Holmes, who was 10th last year at Gateway, has been really strong at the tracks longer than a mile, and a return trip to the Midwest Oval here just might suit his program's improvements. And there's a couple not to be forgotten. I don't know if they have a rivalry with them, but Chandler Smith, is a, lost the Sioux Chief Showdown points lead to Venturini Motorsports teammate Self after struggling on that road course, but he returns to a track that fits his strengths as well. While he's been held out of victory lane since July 3rd at Lucas Oil Raceway in Indiana, Smith has still won once in every three starts in his Arkham Menard Series career, so he's overdue for another. Yes, indeed. So this is going to be very interesting. Uh, the track is a 1.25-mile paved oval, and uh, they are going to have a practice session from 10.30 to 11 a.m. local time. Uh, and then the race, as we mentioned earlier, is 5 p.m. local time. Uh, and I believe that would be 6 p.m. Uh, Eastern time. Now, the starting field is limited to 36 including provisional positions. I don't think we have to worry about that. Positions 1 through 25 uh, will be set by the 2020 Sioux Chief Showdown owner points, and uh, so that will pretty much take care of the field. Uh, the event will be run under the 2020 Arkham and Art Series rules, procedures, regulations, and specifications, but there will be no qualifying this weekend. For uh, the pit stops, there's no adding or moving tires to or from a pit box once the race has started. A maximum of four crew members may service the car, and no tires and fuels can be added outside of the scheduled break. Now, the Dutch Boy 150 was uh, going to be 120 laps, 150 miles, and it's going to be run in three segments. So the race will have its first break at or near lap 40, the second break uh, at the conclusion of lap 80 uh, or close to that at the, con the 
last break, of course, is at the conclusion of the race. Now, vehicles will uh, line up in the order that they were running at the beginning of the break. So once they go to pit road, it doesn't matter who comes off pit road first, they're going to line up the way they were when they went to pit road. So the maximum tire allotment available for this event, uh, per the ARCA rulebook, is a maximum of tires allowed in the pit box for use in the race, and that is eight. So eight tires for the race uh, in this event. Uh, This is going to be exciting. We've seen combo events between the east and the west. This is a kind of a combo event uh, where the Arkham Menard Series is getting one of their races in, the Arca East is getting one of their races in, and so this is going to be pretty exciting to see uh, who are the leaders in both of these series when this race is said and done. And definitely is going to be in, a, in no better place than on a 1.25-mile track like the Worldwide Technology at Gateway. Uh, you can't ask for some better racing, some better action. We talked about uh, last year's bump and run. I get the feeling, strong feeling, we're going to see something similar to that this year. Yes, I've got a feeling you're right. Uh, that tends to happen at uh, WWT Gateway, uh, Raceway at Gateway, and uh, it would not surprise me if it happens again. Uh, let's go over the point standings as it stands for each of these series. Uh, Jay, do you ha- are you able to get to those? All right. I got uh, talked about the uh, Sioux Chief Showdown. Just do a quick rundown there real quick, and then I'll go to the Arca Menards main series um, as that one will come into play. I mentioned uh, Michael Self picking up that win at the Daytona International Speedway for the road course. His first win of the six races gives him the lead at 238. Chandler Smith won the first two races. That puts him at 236. Mentioned Sam Mayer. He had two wins in there at Toledo uh, at 235. Ty Gibbs, also one of the winners so far in those six races, at 231. And then we talked about Brett Holmes and and the run he had been having as of late at 224. So there's your 14-point gap in the Sioux Chief Showdown, as this is one of the events for that, uh, uh, not series, but championship. Right. Now I've got the Arkham Art Series. If you want to pull up the East, uh, I'll go ahead and do this one. Michael Self is leading that, as we mentioned earlier, at 591 points. Brett Holmes is just 15 markers behind at 576. Uh, Now, Brett Holmes races for his own team. Michael Self races for Venturini Motorsports. Drew Dollar, uh, in the number 15 for Venturini, uh, is in third place. He's 56 points back. But keep in mind, he is tied with Haley Deegan, who is also 56 points back. So that's going to be a competition in itself as well, as those guys will want to break that tie. In fifth place is Thad Moffat. He's 92 points back. So that's your top five guys. Uh, All five of those drivers have raced all 12 races. uh, And I think uh, some of the uh, average starts and finishes here are pretty revealing uh, Michael Self has an average start of 3.0 with an average finish of 4.1. Uh, the only driver who has a better starting average than Michael Self, interesting enough, 
is Sam Mayer, or I'm sorry, not Sam, Ty Gibbs, who has been in eight Arkham Menard Series events. His average start is 2.6, but his average finish on par with self at 4.4 compared to self at 4.1. Another driver, though, who has a better average start is uh, Chandler Smith. He's at 1.9. He's been in seven ARCA events, and uh, he's going for that Sioux Chief Showdown uh, points lead. He is a he has an average finish of 4.3. So I think those are your top three drivers. Uh, Brett Holmes has a 7.2 starting average, but his average finish is 5.1. So this is going to be exciting, Jay, without a doubt. That seems like a lot of people are going to try and finish fourth. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right, so when you take a look let's go ahead on the on the east on the east side. There again, we mentioned uh, three races in now. Sam Mayer having wins in two of those top fives in the rest of them, set himself at 138 points. Ty Gibbs right there picking up that other win, two top fives in the three starts is 13 points behind at 125. They've kind of separated themselves. Chase Cabri's in third at 211. Parker Retzlaff in fourth at 110. Then you got Nick Sanchez and Max McLaughlin. Fifth and sixth are only one point apart as they're at 107 and 106. So, again, you're looking at the top five, six spots there. Difference of 22 points. But those top two have kind of separated themselves. Aside from that, it's only five points difference. Yes, indeed. Uh, this is going to be an exciting race, without a doubt. Uh, who's your pick to win? Wow. Uh, that is, <laughs> I was going to say maybe we can pick one between each battle. Um, overall, <laughs> you know what? I think, I think the, uh, the solo one there, I think Chandler Smith is going to be the one tough to beat. We've seen what he can do on uh, short tracks. Okay. Well, I am going to take Ty Gibbs. How about that? Uh, I'll take Ty Gibbs this time for Gateway. Uh, I think he's the defending winner, and uh, we'll see what happens uh, this weekend uh, at uh, the WWT Raceway at Gateway. Uh, Let's go ahead now and move on to our uh, NASCAR Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series. Uh, They also are racing at Gateway. They'll race the Car Shield 200 presented by CK Power at Gateway on Sunday, August the 30th at 12 p.m. Eastern Time. Now, Fox Sports 1 will start their pre-race coverage starting at 11.30 a.m. It says p.m., but I think it means a.m. And radio coverage will be on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. They'll be racing a distance of 200 miles over 160 laps. Uh, The first stage is going to end on lap 55. The second stage ends on lap 110, and, of course, the last stage ends on the last lap, lap 160. So uh, this is the truck series. Uh, This will be the last uh, stage of the triple truck the triple truck challenge uh but we've got some rookies that are really in a hot battle as well well and it's a uh, no coincidence we're going to talk to one of them later tonight zane smith going to be on here at the top of the hour 
and he continues to hold that top spot in the Gander Truck Sunoco Rookie of the Year standings with 474 points and four race awards. Christian Eckes is sitting second behind Smith, has five awards to his name, but with only 450 points. Derek Krause has 374 points and win awards, and Tanner Gray then sitting fourth with 315 points and one award. Raphael Lassard is currently fifth, followed by Ty Majeski, Spencer Davis, and Tate Fogelman. Now, Eckes does have two previous starts at Gateway, while Smith and Fogelman each only have one. But Krause, Lassard, Majeski, and Davis will all be making their debuts on Sunday at Gateway. Okay. So let's uh, let's talk about the three races that are left in the playoff hunt. Uh, with repeat winner Zane Smith taking the victory last Friday night at Dover, that still leaves five spots open in the postseason as five have been claimed by the race winners. Uh, race winners include uh, Brett Moffat. I'm sorry, that does not include Brett Moffat. Uh, Brett Moffat, Christian Eckes, Ben Rhodes, Tyler Ankrum, and Todd Gilliland currently occupy the five spots based on their points total. So um, let's take a look at this. With 13 races in the books this season, former series champion Johnny Sauter still sits below that playoff line. And after a long string of bad luck, he's jumped up one spot below the cut line from 14th to 13th. Uh, And right now he's 71 points back from the final playoff spot. Krauss right now is sitting at 11th. He's four points below the cut line, and he he has hopes of making the jump above the cut line before the postseason begins. Now, Stuart Friesen has had a tough season like Sauter, and right now he's sitting 15th. He's 97 points back from the cut line. So uh, this is going to be exciting. They still have three races left, so uh, it's not everything on the line yet. But these guys want to get that win as quickly as possible. Those guys that are below the cut line want to get a win and put themselves up. But unfortunately, if one of the guys below that cutoff line go up, it means one of the guys that are currently above are going to have to come down. So uh, a lot on the line this weekend. It's going to be, and that that line is uh, right there at tenth and eleventh. I think below that you're looking for a win. It can be financial, or uh, not financially, uh, mathematically done, but you don't want to have to depend on somebody else's bad luck for your own benefit. Well, let's now look we can at look the at clinch some scenarios. Yeah, looking at the clinch scenarios for the Gander trucks: Austin Hill, Zane Smith, Sheldon Creed, Matt Crafton, and Grant Finger, and Finger have all clinched their spot into the Gander Trucks postseason with those wins. Now, Brett Moffitt can clinch this weekend at Gateway with a win or on points with a repeat winner or a win by either Christian Eckes or Ben Rhodes. Eckes can clinch with a win or on points with a repeat winner or a win by Moffitt or Rhodes. Rhodes can also clinch, obviously, with the win or on points with a, win, a repeat winner or either Eckes Eckies or Moffitt's. Those guys are all kind of tied together. Tyler Ankrum, Todd Gillen, Derek Krause, Tanner Gray, Johnny Sauter, Raphael Lassard can all clinch that spot with a win as that would move them into a locked position. Now, Stuart Friesen 
could clinch a top 20 spot, which you have to be in, in order to even get in on the wins, and he would need a spot with 50 points and that win to clinch that playoff spot. Now, Ty Majeski also could clinch the top spent, top 20 spot with a little bit of help and a win, and he could also clinch the spot if they get help clinching the top 20 spot. Well, they've got uh, those three races to do it, uh, but they're running out of time, so uh, time is of the essence without without much doubt. Okay, now the Triple Truck Challenge also wraps up at Gateway this weekend. Uh, The first two parts of that Triple Truck Challenge uh, have already taken place. Uh, Sheldon Creed took home the first $50,000 bonus of the 2020 edition of the Triple Truck Challenge, and he did that at the Daytona International Speedway Road Course. On Friday evening at Dover International Speedway, Creed's GMS racing teammate, Zane Smith, was victorious, and he took home the second $50,000 bonus. Uh, The third and final race of the Triple Truck Challenge will be at uh, WWT Raceway at Gateway, and that's August 30th. So that's Saturday. Saturday? Is that Saturday? No, that's Sunday. That's a Sunday Sunday. race. Yeah, so Creed and and Smith are each looking to triple their bonus as a win this weekend could net one of them $150,000 total uh, through two wins. Now, this year's rules will copy last season uh, as the drivers compete for the cash prices. They get a $50,000 bonus for being a race winner of any one of the three events. If a driver wins two of the three events, they will be rewarded that extra $50,000, giving them a total of 150000 If they win all three events, which is not going to happen because uh, we've already got two different winners, uh, they can take home the additional 300000 for a total of 500000 in prize money. Now, Greg Biffle came out of retirement last year to win the first Triple Truck Challenge event at Texas Motor Speedway for Kyle Busch Motorsports. Brett Moffat won at Iowa, and Ross Chastain was the winner at Gateway. So uh, now we got to wonder who's going to be uh, the winner at Gateway this win- weekend. Will we have a two-time winner, or will we have a new winner at Gateway in the Triple Truck Challenge? Wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me at all to see a third different winner again this year. Uh, in those three races. Now, again, we're looking at Sunday afternoon trucking at Gateway. The NASCAR Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series goes from the banks of Dover International Speedway to a 1.25-mile track at the Worldwide Technology Raceway at Gateway for the Car Shield 200, presented by CK Power. Zane, Zane Smith is coming off his second win of the season, now picking up wins at Dover and Michigan, will be making his second start at the track. He finished fifth in his debut in 2008, and he'll start on the pole on Sunday afternoon, leading the field to green. We talked about veteran Johnny Sauter. He's looking to get his first victory of the season and secure his spot in the postseason as he currently sits below that playoff cutoff line. Sauter has had seven starts at the track and finished in the top five in all seven of them. He has a best finish of second in his track debut coming back in 2009. 
Now, there are no previous winners in the field for this weekend, but Matt Crafton with 16 starts and Sauter are the two drivers with the most experience at the track. Sauter holds the record for the most top fives of seven, and Crafton holds the record for the most top tens at nine. Ross Chastain was last season's race winner here at Gateway for Nice Motorsports. And three of the 19 races have been won from the pole position, and five of 19 have been won from the second position. And Sunday's standalone event for the Gander Trucks will be, again, 200 miles, 160 laps, stage one ending on lap 55, stage two at the end of lap 110, and the final stage there at lap 160. Okay, so uh, this is going to be an exciting race to watch without a doubt. Uh, These guys, as we mentioned earlier, they've got three races left before their regular season is over. Now, drivers like uh, Zane Smith, our guest that will be coming up here, uh, he's already got two wins, and both of those wins, Jay, came in the month of August. So August has been a good month for Zane Smith. He won at Michigan, as you mentioned, as well as at Dover just last weekend. So he seems to be peaking at a really, really good time. Yo, and we'll talk to him about that. You're right, uh, especially being in the month of August. Get one more race here in the in the month of August, and, and no better time to be start winning races. I mean, they've been running so solid all year anyway, but to be actually knocking down those victories here as we head into the playoffs just a, absolutely has to be a confidence boost for for him as a driver as well as that team. Uh, without a doubt. Now Zane is actually here now. I'm going to go ahead and bring him into the queue. Uh, so that we can talk with him. Uh, Zane, congratulations on getting your second victory at Dover last week. Uh, We were just talking about how you have two wins. Both of those wins came in August. Uh, What what happened? Uh, Was there something that clicked? What kind of put you on this path of victory in the month of August? Yeah, August has definitely been a really good month for us. Um, I really don't know. I think that uh, I just got so sick and tired of uh, all the dumb little mistakes that have been happening. Uh, I feel like we've gotten kind of snaked out of about three three other wins this, this season. Um, so just uh, I guess this month I've, I've kind of put them together uh, the best I could, and, um, and luckily it's paid off for us. It certainly has. Now, at Gateway, I'm sorry, at Dover last week, you had uh, uh, a couple of restarts there, or at least one restart that didn't really go too well for you. So that last restart was really, really important. Uh, What did you learn uh, about the restarts uh, that really helped you have a good restart at the right time? Yeah, uh, I knew that final restart um, next to Brett and, um, Matt behind me, I, I knew it, it had to be a good one, and that was going to be um, the race winning or race losing uh, move, really, just because track position and, and the truck series is so critical. And uh, I just I, I made sure I wasn't going to make any mistakes and uh, and really clean my stuff up good coming to the green and and uh, definitely paid uh, dividends. Okay. Uh, well, and, and 
tell you what, you couldn't have picked a better time to start peaking uh, with uh, the momentum that you have going into Gateway this weekend. You you have some experience at Gateway. I'm sorry. Yeah, you have some experience at Gateway. Uh, talk a little bit about that experience and how that's going to help you this weekend. Yeah, I guess uh, if you think about it, Gateway is the only place I've actually raced a truck before, so um, that should <laughs> definitely help. And with the, the new, uh, I guess, pit stop format for this just this weekend, um, starting on the pole or really just front row towards the front is uh, is a big deal. So uh, just because a lot of spots or you won't lose any spots on pit road um, with having a five-minute break. So um, staying out front and uh, staying out of trouble and just having a good truck. And uh, I guess the quickest to adapt will uh, most likely win on Sunday. Okay. Now, joining us is uh, our co-host for tonight, Jay Huseman, and I know he has some questions for you, too. So, uh, Jay? All right. Well, I'll start off again. Hey, congratulations there on the second win of the year, uh, Zane. Uh, wanted to ask you about that. You've obviously been through this in other series you've raced in, but they say getting that, that first one, especially in, an, in a new series, getting that first victory, the rest come quicker. And you, you're already on that as your second one came rather shortly. What kind of momentum does that build, just getting that first one? Even though you were running top five, like you said, you felt like a couple had gotten away. Getting over that hump and start knocking them down. Yeah, for sure. Obviously, the first one, it's just uh, it's such a weight off of your shoulders. I don't really know what it is, whether or not it's uh, knowing you're locked into the playoffs or what, but I really think it comes in any form of racing where right after you get the first win, um, I don't know, you just – you know how to put them together a lot easier. And that's why you see, I think a lot of guys just go on winning streaks. And I know Daytona was kind of rough for us, but uh, we're back to back on oval. So uh, we got another oval coming up. So hopefully we could make it three in a row. The other, the other question I have for you, and I saw your post-race interview and you just talked to Sharon about it, the restarts. I know you said that was something you were focused on. Haven't always been the best at, but what else here during the rookie rookie campaign here in the Snoko or in the uh, Gander RV Truck Series have you been able to focus on that you've picked up on? I know you did ten races in the Xfinity Series, but trucks are obviously a little bit different. What other things have you picked up on that you've said, "Hey, this is where I'm kind of lacking and need to improve"? Yeah, I've definitely uh, struggled at some places on restarts, um, just because it's I don't know they're they're a really weird. Uh, I guess as a truck, but really weird car in general to uh restart they're they're really they don't really have a huge like power band from where you go second to third uh, in most other cars you'd really feel that but uh in a truck it, it's just really hitting uh your march on on your attack so um that's the biggest thing i'd say but um i don't know and i think at the truck series is so stacked this year uh it's I think everyone is just kind of trying to screw you over, uh, get your track position. Um, so uh, I guess I guess that's the, the biggest thing is just being aggressive. All right, and I got one final question here actually before I turn it back over to Sharon. We talked about this uh, prior to NASCAR implementing it. Did you have any experience working with the Choose Cone, and how do you think that has played out so far here in the Truck Series? 
Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, uh, to be honest with you, I wasn't really a fan of it at Michigan, but um, it kind of just was, was pretty even at Dover. So um, I don't know. It, it kind of brings you back to your short track days. Uh, definitely it kind of brings a new factor to it. Um, I don't know. It's, uh, it could, it could either be on your side or, um, or definitely not. So, uh, I guess we're, we're undefeated on it so far. So I guess I could say I'm a fan of it. All right. I wish you the best luck here at, uh, WWT this weekend. I will say you got somebody in your corner as I did pick you for our fan for racing, uh, fantasy picks here. So yeah, I got hundred percent behind you this weekend. All righty, cool. Thank you for all the support. Yeah, all right, Sharon. you picked you before I had a chance to, Zane. That wasn't right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now uh, Andy uh, had some questions for you for Monday, and I know you you had something come up and you weren't able to be on Monday. So I'm going to ask some of Andy's questions here. Uh, he's asking, what's it been like for you working with veteran Kevin Mannion? Yeah, it's uh it's been a lot of fun. I mean, he was my uh actually Gateway was where me and Boner really first started. So I really do want to win this weekend. Uh just I think that'd be pretty awesome knowing that's where we we first started uh 2 years ago today. Uh then we met back up. So, um Boner's been a lot of fun to work with. He's uh, we have a very similar personality. We're we seem to click very well. We're always on the same page. Um been a lot of fun this year, so I get to hope to get to work with him in the years to come. Oh, okay, it seems like you guys have really clicked pretty well, uh, and especially had a good time, like I say, uh, with with the regular season winding down. Now, the other question that Andy had here is, how did? Uh, and I know Jay mentioned this too. You you raced some Xfinity Series races last year with Junior Motorsports. Uh, did did. That, how did that experience help you going into this season when you're racing full-time? Yeah, the, the truck and Xfinity car are uh, very different, but um, I, I guess uh, the, the stage racing factor is uh, a lot different than what I'm used to, uh, so I guess I got to learn that in the Xfinity series along with um, the amount of ag- aggression you need to have for the first five to, to eight laps of uh, fighting for track position. That was um, obviously it's important in all three series of NASCAR, but um, it's uh, especially magnified in the truck series. Okay. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that the races are so much shorter in the truck series. So you guys don't have any time to waste. You've got to get at it right away. Yeah, absolutely. It's- I mean, um, a lot of races are run one with uh, not the best truck, but um, just aggression and, and getting to the front and staying out there. Okay. Now, but his third question is, uh, who's been your biggest mentor in racing uh, to this point of your career? Uh, who's the most popular, you're asking? No, who's your biggest mentor? Who's the, Who's been oh. the biggest coach for you? Um, I, I guess fan base wise, probably, uh, Jimmy Johnson and, um, 
I mean, if not him, uh, definitely has helped me out the most would be Josh Wise, my my uh, trainer. He's uh, made a big difference in my racing career this year, and um, I hope to get to work with him and in the years to come. He's uh, he teaches me a lot and definitely makes me a, a way better driver. I I know you've worked with um, Austin Terrio in the past too. Uh, is Austin still doing that? Is he still coaching guys? Do you know? Oh, I never worked with uh, Austin. I know he does that with a few other drivers, but I've never been a part of uh, oh, his okay. program. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I was thinking that you, you had worked with him. Okay. My mistake. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> You're out there. Okay. Uh, Zane, I know that you've got some things that are coming up. Uh, before you go here, did you have any other questions or any other people that you want to make sure you shout out uh, about uh, before we let you go? Uh, just obviously the, the sponsors that I've had all throughout my career, especially on my truck this year, uh, La Paz Margarita Mix. I'm sure you guys have, have heard of, um, if you've heard of me. So, uh I mean, we obviously all know the time we're going through and uh, any sponsor that's uh, being a part of racing or really a part of anything is um, something I definitely be thankful for. Um, it's a hard world right now, and uh, for people like that to stay in it and um, stay dedicated is something special. Okay. Now, because you've raced at WWT before, at Gateway before, what would be the biggest thing you tell the fans to uh, watch out for this weekend uh, that you think is going to be happening on the track in the truck series? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's – I know they aren't putting any uh, VHT or PJ1 down, whatever you want to call it. Um, so I think it's going to be a fast uh, Martinsville type of race where it's, everyone's fighting for the bottom and um, – I think it's just going to be a lot of aggression and a little bit different style of racing uh, with this new pit stop format. So should be exciting, so make sure to tune in on Sunday. Okay, we, we certainly will. And, uh, Zane, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, be here and chat with us. Uh, uh, it's great seeing you get uh, a couple of victories this season in the uh, truck series. Uh, I've got a feeling that's not going to be the end of it. I think we're going to see more from you. And uh, we, we hope we get a chance to talk to you again somewhere down the road here. All righty. Thank you for having me. Appreciate the time. All right. Take care now. And good luck this weekend. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. That is Zane Smith with GMS Racing. And uh, I'll tell you what, uh, he's uh, really – uh, having some great success here with both, uh, you know, Michigan uh, is a big super speedway race, and for him to win on that track is just amazing. And then to go to Dover and win there, uh, both in the same month, is is uh, pretty fantastic. You know, that was one thing, and I know he had another uh, another commitment here tonight. I didn't get a chance to talk to him, but you're right, the, the range between tracks, which is a very, very good thing, um, to display that kind of capability to win on a big track like Michigan and then a, a track like Dover. And then in between there you go to go to Gateway. And I like his comparison to Martinsville. So uh, I didn't look up his mm-hmm. uh, stats on Martinsville prior to this weekend, but that might be a good thing that plays in his favor as well. 
Well, and I think the other thing is that he has raced a truck at Gateway before. I think that's definitely going to play in his favor. And darn it, I was going to pick Zane Smith until you jumped the gun on me. <laughs> I heard when you said that, I was like, uh, I think it was uh, James and I going back and forth. I said, normally he goes before me and always takes my pick, and Sam took my Xfinity pick this weekend. So what goes around comes around. <laughs> that is true, I suppose. Okay, so uh, let's go over. I think we've got a couple minutes here. Let's go over real quick the um, uh, picks for the truck series and the fantasy uh, points for the truck series. All right. Well, again, uh, actually, Owen went first and picked Tyler Ankrum. Uh, I went second there and picked Zane Smith. Then, uh, let's see. I think James took Christian Eckes, and then you took Johnny Sauter. And I really had considered Johnny Sauter. His stats here are unbeatable. Just the year he has been having, I, I kind of shied away from him, but very solid pick there. And then Mike took Matt Crafton. Uh, still waiting to hear from Sam and then Andy. Andy had Zane Smith last weekend for that win, so has to go last. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. As far as... Um... Okay, go ahead. Points in the trucks. Again, this one's uh, tight. However, Andy's trying to stretch this one out as well. He now has 52 points. Uh, Sam is second at 42, so it's only 10 back. Sharon, you're third at 41, and then come the rest. James is at 37, Owen at 36, I'm at 31, and Mike is at 28. So that has been stretched out to, what, 24 total points? But, again, three races mm-hmm. left. We're going to the playoffs each race 14 points so uh, not out of realm for anybody okay and uh, did you want to do the picks oh you did do the picks didn't you Uh, Sam and Andy are the only ones that haven't picked yet so uh, uh, we'll hear from them shortly and uh, I I think you go out on uh, social media and let everybody know who the picks are correct I know I haven't been in the last few races, again, with everything that's been going on this season. Uh, the double headers, it's been really tough. I'll try to get back into that routine, especially as we hit the playoffs here and keep everybody up to date on the points as well as our picks in these playoff races as they should be more singled out like we're used to. Okay. Now, here, since uh, we're going to do the Xfinity Series next, why don't you go ahead and give us the Xfinity Series info? All right. Uh, this one, I think we got four of the picks in so far. I think we were waiting back. You messaged Owen. So uh, Sam started this one Owen. as well, took Noah Gregston. Go yeah, ahead. You I'm got Owen? No, I was just going to check and see. I don't think I do. Oh, okay. okay. Well, uh, Sam started there with Noah Gregston at Daytona, and that is kind of who I was looking at. But I went with Ross Chastain then with the second pick. Uh, that left James to take Chase Briscoe and Andy with Austin Sendrick, which had been the, normally the top two picks. Daytona is such a wild card the way it can play out, uh, and that leaves it up to Owen, and then Mike and Sharon will follow. I think Mike has to go last. Uh, here in the mm-hmm. Xfinity Series, we can't let Andy stretch this one out anymore. <laughs> He's got a total of 83 points. Second place is myself at 69, so there's a – 14 point gap just there alone from wow. first to second. So, uh, Sharon, you're in third in this one as well at 62. 
And again, it's tight behind that. Owens at 59. And we have a three-way tie at 51 between Sam, Owen, or I'm sorry, Sam, James, and Mike. Uh, so again, with the exception of uh, Andy's 14-point uh, lead there, that one will be really close as well. And I believe that they got three or four. I don't remember how many they extended to have left prior to their playoffs. Yeah, well, the Xfinity is uh, getting ready to wrap up here as well, and uh, we'll go ahead and get into that preview. They are going to be racing uh, this weekend uh, the Wawa 250 powered by Coca-Cola at Daytona International Speedway. That will be racing on Friday night. Uh, That's August the 28th. Things are kind of switched around here a little bit, so... Uh, the t- they should start racing at around 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, NBC Sports Network will have their pre-race coverage starting at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, and radio coverage is on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. They'll be racing a distance of 250 miles over 100 laps. Stage 1 ends on lap 30. Stage 2 ends 30 laps later on lap 60, and the last stage ends on the last lap. That's lap 100. So uh, the Xfinity Series at Daytona, these races are so hard to predict, Jay. They most certainly are. Again, absolute wild card for these uh, for these series that hit the, the high banks of Daytona. We're going to take in the Xfinity Series here to take a look at the rookies. Now, Harrison Burton continues to dominate the Sunoco Rookie of the Year standings as he holds a 177-point lead over his teammate, Riley Herbst. Burton is the uh, only rookie locked into the playoffs by virtue of a win as he has two on the, seasons, on the season coming back at Auto Club and Miami. Uh, while Herbst is in 11th place on the playoff outlook, 160 point, 116 points ahead of the cutoff now in addition to his two wins Burton has put together a plethora of points on the strength of 10 top fives and 14 top 10 finishes in the 21 races this season he's accumulated four top tens in the last six races including a third place finish at Kansas Speedway when you take a look at Herbst he has two top fives and 12 top tens in the 21 races and has finished in the top 10 in three of the last four races. At Dover, he finished sixth and ninth, receiving the Rookie of the Year award for the second race on Sunday, the second Dover race on Sunday. And Jesse Little is currently third in the Sunoco rookie standings. He's looking for his first top five of the season. His be- season best finish came at Pocono when he finished 10th. At Dover, he unfortunately finished 23rd in both races. The other ones that are out there are Joe Graff Jr. at 285 points, Myatt Schneider at 244, and Cody Vanderwall at 145. Yes, uh, it, they it, they have been uh, impressive, uh, both Riley Erbst and uh, Harrison Burton. Uh, Burton obviously getting the two wins uh, in his rookie season is pretty fantastic. And uh, I know Riley would love nothing better than to get a win uh, before these playoffs begin. But it looks like there's a possibility uh, that he's going to get in on those uh, points. 
Now, there are five playoff spots that are still up to grabs here in the Xfinity Series. Justin Algauer claimed his very first win of this season in the first race of the doubleheader weekend at Dover last Saturday. Only five spots now remain in the Xfinity Series postseason. Chase Briscoe won his sixth race of the season on Sunday in the second race of the doubleheader weekend. Now the series heads to Daytona International Speedway this weekend, so the pressure is on for those drivers that are fighting to stay above that cutoff line. Now Ross Chastain is holding on to the eighth spot in the driver playoff standings as the first driver without a victory. Michael Lynette is behind him in ninth, and Sunoco Rookie of the Year contender Riley Erbst is hanging on to that 10th spot. Ryan Sieg is in 11th, while Brandon Brown is in that 12th and final spot uh, above the cutoff line. Uh, Now, since Tastain is in the hunt for his first 2020 win, it's really important to note that he did win this race last season in a spot start uh, for Colleague Racing. I'm going to sneeze. Excuse me. (laughs) Prior to being a full-time driver for the organization. So it was just a one-off spot that he had for Colleague Racing last year, and he went out and won the race. Now, if a driver outside the current playoff picture wins this weekend at Daytona, that means Brown gets bumped out of the postseason. Uh, And with all the craziness that comes with racing at Daytona, uh, we all know that anything is possible. Now, Jeremy Clements has been hanging on to the 13th spot. That's the spot that's right below the cutoff line. And Maya Snyder, another rookie, is in 14th. He's 58 points back from that cut line. Cindric now has the most stage wins of any driver this season. He has nine, and JR Motorsports teammates Noah Gregson and Justin Algauer are tied with eight. So, uh, Alex LeBay is is below that cut line. He's 83 points back. Uh, You never know what can happen at Daytona. If he gets a win, uh, like we say, that that bumps Brandon Brown below the cutoff line. So this is going to be a really, really big race uh, this weekend at Daytona uh, for all of these drivers. The only ones that are going to be comfortable this weekend, Jay, are the ones that already have a victory. Right, and even they're not comfortable because it is Daytona and anything can happen. <laughs> True, but even now, when if we something look at, happens for them, they've still got a spot in the playoffs. We'll look at some clinch scenarios here for the Xfinity Series. Again, Justin Algar and Brandon Jones are the most recent clinch drivers in the NASCAR Xfinity Series post-Dover. Justin Haley will clinch this weekend with five points and a new winner. If there is a repeat winner, Haley would clinch on wins regardless of finish. If Haley wins at Daytona, if Haley wins at Daytona, he would clinch the playoff spot on wins. Same goes for Ross Chastain. A win or a clinch or a win and could clinch on points with a repeat winner and a little bit of help as far as the points. Mike Lynette, another one in that same position. Needs a win and a little bit of help with points. Now, it is impossible for Riley Herbst to clinch the playoff spot, even with the win, since a winless driver could win the regular season championship 
resulting in the possibility of a driver with a win not making it into the playoffs. That's highly unlikely, but it is possible. Now, if they can't clinch a playoff spot with a win, no winless driver below them in the standings can either. Now, currently, six drivers are locked into that 12 playoff field. Right now, it's Austin Sindrick, Chase Briscoe, Noah Gregson, Harrison Burton, Justin Algar, and Brandon Jones. Okay, they are back at it in Daytona. It was just a couple weeks ago they were running the road course there. Now they're back on the super speedway Friday night under the lights. So the series competed, uh, like I said, just a couple weeks ago on the road course, uh, and now they'll be on the oval. Noah Gregson won the season opening race at Daytona in February for JR Motorsports, uh, Junior Motorsports in the number nine Chevrolet, and it was Gregson's very first career series win at the track. Now, Xfinity will get things started on Friday night, while the Cup Series will be competing on Saturday night. With Gregson's winning, with Gregson winning the first race of the season at Daytona, a return to the track is sure to bring a lot of momentum for that number nine team. Harrison Burton finished second in his first Xfinity Series start at Daytona, and Timmy Hill got a career-best third place while Brandon Jones finished in fourth. Chase Briscoe, the season points leader, he rounded out the top five the last time they raced on the Super Speedway there. Now, coming off of the double header uh, weekend at Dover International Speedway, Justin Algauer got his very first win of this season in that Saturday race. Now, that secured his spot into the playoffs. Chase Briscoe was victorious on Sunday, uh, but that brought him his sixth victory this season. Now, Friday night's race is going to be the 250 miles uh, and 100 laps. Stage one ends on lap 30, stage two on lap 60, and Briscoe will lead the field to green in the number 98 as he starts from the pole. Ross Chastain is still looking for his first win this year. He won the race last season after starting fourth and leading 49 laps. Now his colleague racing teammate Justin Haley finished just behind him in second, while Christopher Bell finished third for Joe Gibbs Racing. Austin Sindrick, the second part of the dominating Ford group this year with Briscoe, finished fourth. Stephen Light finished fifth for J.D. Motorsports. Now, Daytona International Speedway tends to produce new winners as well as exciting and crazy races. And with the playoffs on the line, we could see a surprise winner on Friday night in the Sunshine State. So uh, anything can happen. It's anybody's race to win or lose. Like you said, especially when it comes to making uh, race picks or whatever, the, the fun we have with that, uh, Daytona is such a wild card, and we've seen it in the past in, in all levels, uh, the Cup Series all the way down through the Arkham Menard Series of that uh, surprise winner at Daytona, and especially in the Cup Series, having that as the cutoff race, uh, I think NASCAR did a heck of a job with that. Okay, now I do have some uh, pre-race audio here from Riley Erbst. He drives that number 18 for Joe Gibbs Racing in a Toyota. Let's hear what he has to say. I've got a feeling it's not going to be real long, uh, but uh, it's going to be interesting to see what he says about the race this weekend. 
those who would like it. Uh, we deeply appreciate Riley taking the time to join us today uh, for his availability on the Twitter channels. So uh, we ask that you use the raise hand tool, or in Bob's case, I'll just know he doesn't have the raise hand tool, and Bob will just wave at me. So, um, if you have questions for Riley, we will put you in queue. But uh, uh, I will kick it off. Uh, Riley, we're heading to Daytona this week, a uh, track that you have a lot of experience at, and uh, you know, you've been really good at super speedway racing. What are your expectations uh, heading to Daytona for Friday night? Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um, hopefully the weather stays away, but Daytona is kind of like a question for everybody. Um, it can be kind of a wild card, but um, we've always had pretty fast Toyotas in the past, so I'm um, looking forward to it. got to work with our teammates because uh, we're kind of outnumbered a little bit manufacturer-wise, but um, we'll see what happens. Awesome. Well, Bob, since you were waving at me and you jumped on first, you get the first question. <laughs> yeah, R Riley, what do you think you've learned the most this year? Um, the cars, um, how much to prepare before each race, um, how steep the competition is, um, and the tracks we're going to. So I wish we, I would have been able to learn the tracks and practice, but, um, uh, having to learn them, um, when we fire off to race, that's something new for me. So, um, that's helped me as a driver. Um, as much as I hate it, I think I'll be better suited for, um, next year or years to come, um, because I'll have to adapt quicker um, to newer racetracks if any new tracks get added to the circuit. And, I mean, what, when evaluating the season, are you looking at, like, okay, I want to be a certain certain points or certain number of top five finishes, certain number of wins? Like, what's going to determine a successful year for you? Um, yeah, me and Dave went through all the analytics and numbers um, in January, but um, all the rookies in the past, like I said, have had um, their four rookie tests in practice. So, the numbers are a little bit skewed um, compared to our numbers. So, um, but we definitely not necessarily going off points, but kind of going off um, finishes. Um, hopefully, we could sneak out a win or two here by the playoffs. Um, definitely think that our team's capable and uh, I'm capable. So we'll see what happens. Thank you. Thanks, Bob. Uh, Daniel McFadden, go ahead, Daniel. Okay, we'll go ahead and end it there. Uh, he had some interesting things to say there about things that he's learned uh, throughout his rookie season and how this year is so different, Jay, uh, than what other rookies have had to uh, deal with, with no practice and qualifying. It It is. And I don't know, again, not being in that position, I, I would think it was is much harder on them. Uh, we've talked about that, whether or not there should be an exception for them, but we haven't heard a lot of them complain. They all step up and are doing it. And we've seen the improvement. We, we looked through some of the stats of Riley Herbst as we went through the preview, uh, what he's done here in the last four to six weeks, uh, certainly showing that improvement as you would expect from a rookie. So I, I like his attitude of that. You know, you have to take it step by step. He knows where he's at and he knows where he wants to go and what he needs to do to get there. And I think they're getting real close to that to start being a top five and a weekly contender for race wins. Yes, and uh, that's certainly his goal. Uh, I thought the other interesting aspect of that is he feels like the fact that he's rookie season, he's had to learn how to adapt so quickly without the practice and qualifying that it's really going to help him long-term-wise with his career. I thought that was uh, kind of a really good attitude as well. 
that's one of those you like somebody that like that 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 no matter what takes the positive from it uh you know i'm sure in their minds there are thoughts of how this isn't what they wanted or expected how it's unfair to them versus others but you just you take that positive and i mean that's how you move forward a lot quicker as well is being on the positive side of it so he knows that he can go through that whatever that gets thrown at him he can go through that as well okay uh, let's go ahead and do our picks for the Cup Series. I think we're all in on that one, as well as the points and the overall points. All right. For, whoops, turn that back. For the Cup Series, yep, we got all seven of those in. Uh, again, this being a wild card race, I mentioned this, you kind of have some regulars, but some off the wall, not off the wall, but unusual picks, so... Mike started us out with uh, Matt DiBenedetto. Uh, Sam came in with Denny Hamlin. Owen took Chris Busher. A little bit of a surprise, but not completely out there either. Uh, I followed that up with Ryan. I'm sorry, James went Brad Keselowski first, and then I followed that up with Ryan Blaney. Sharon took Jimmy Johnson. And Andy, again, having to go last because he got us last week, uh, took Ricky Stenhouse. So, again, all of them, we talked about it, any one of them can win. We've seen that. Uh, some really good picks there, not in your normal top contenders between Denny Hamlin and Kevin Harvick, who didn't get picked at all. So we'll see how yeah, that plays out. But it should, be, should be quite interesting. It should What's be. That? And I, I, do, I, I know I'm surprised Kevin didn't get picked at all. Uh, we do have several drivers that we can listen to or crew chiefs uh, in the Cup Series, so oh, let's go ahead and I, we just did the picks. Let's do the points and then the overall points. All right. Well, I'm the Andy of this group of the Cup Series. I got 114 points. Andy cut up to me a little at 100, so I got the 14 point lead gap here. Uh, third place is Sam at 84. Owen is in fourth at 83. Sharon, you're in fifth at 78, and then James at 69, and Mike at 64. And the overall, there's some gaps here. Uh, oh, Andy leads that. Again, you've heard me mention him at the top of every series. 235. Mm-hmm. I'm 21 back at 214. Sharon, you are in third, leading, leading a tight pack. 181. Owen's at 178. Sam is at 177. And is James at 156. And Mike at 143 Yeah I went from hero to zero In the cup series this last week <laughs> My guy won on on uh, One day And the next day uh, Ended up way back So it just wasn't uh, <laughs> All those points I gained On uh, Saturday were lost On Sunday I see that I figured you know if you won at least one of the two But uh yeah, that gave you a total of eight points. Myself and Andy both had ten, and I think there was one other that had – no, you were third with that, so even having one win. Uh, the other thing, and I know I put this out in the group, but talk about how much fun we have with this, but it is really tough because I think in three of the five races this weekend, our seven picks were in the top 11 finishes. One of the races, all seven were in the top nine. That is – I'm a, you know, wow. we do that uh, – DraftKings fantasy thing for millions of dollars. We are so close to that. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, we're, we're, we do put some pretty good picks out there. Uh, Daytona is probably going to be the exception because uh, just about anybody could win that race uh, based on what happens. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, they'll be racing the Coke Zero Sugar 400 uh, at Daytona International Speedway this Saturday, uh, August the 29th. It's a night race under the lights, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, you'll want to tune in to NBC at 7 p.m. for the pre-race coverage. And, of course, MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio will have the radio coverage. They'll be going a distance of 400 miles over 160 laps. Stage 1 ends on lap 50. 50 laps later, stage 2 will end on lap 100. And then the last stage ends on the last lap, which is lap 160. So, uh, again, this race is going to be exciting. Uh, This is the cutoff race, Jay, which means that somebody is going to be happy when this race is over, and there's going to be probably some buddies that are not going to be happy when this race is over. And I don't think it will be limited to one. We've seen this before, who gets blamed for the big one or blocking or everything else. And that's not to mention, mm-hmm. like you said, the points. Uh, it could be one. It could be two. Uh, as far as that, if an outside driver wins and moves up into that top of 15, it could be two drivers. Uh, we talk about William Byron and Jimmy Johnson, teammates, right around that cut line. So a lot of factors could come out of this. Absolutely. Uh, let's uh, talk about the rookies again here. Hello? Okay. I thought you were going to play some audio. I'm sorry. Oh, no. I'm just, I'm going to – we'll do this first, and then we'll play audio at the end. Okay. Well, when we look at the uh, couple of things, uh, one note to throw in here uh, before we get to the rookies, uh, Kevin Harvick, Harvick is celebrating the 2020 regular season title at Daytona. And despite clinching this year's NASCAR's Cup Series regular season championship at Dover International Speedway last weekend, Stuart Haas's racing's Kevin Harvick and NASCAR will celebrate the accomplishment this weekend at Daytona International Speedway. Not only does that victory come with the prestige, but also with the 15-point bonus uh, playoff points to take with him into the postseason. Joe Gibbs Racing's Kyle Busch earned a the past two NASCAR Cup Series regular season championships, and his teammate Martin Truex scored the 2017 honor the first year of its inception. So that'll come into play as we add up those uh, playoff points. Now, when okay. we take a look at rookie... And then Cole Custer, I'll do the rookie. Since you didn't want to do it, I'll okay. do it. <laughs> okay. Cole Custer, Cole Custer could lock up the Sunoco Rookie of the Year honors at Daytona. Uh, and uh, that Stuart Haas Racing's uh, is the only rookie driver with a win so far this season and the only one currently in position to move into the playoffs. If Custer is the only rookie to make the playoffs, that's an automatic win of the 2020 Sunoco Rookie of the Year honors in the NASCAR Cup Series. Now, this season, Custer has put up one win. That was at Kentucky, and it was a pretty – it wasn't a give-me win. It was uh, I had to fight for a win. Uh, And two top fives. He has six top tens in 25 starts this season. Now, Tyler Reddick 
currently leads the Sunoco Rookie of the Year standings. He has a total of 94 points over Cole Custer, but Reddick is currently 19th in the Cup Series playoff outlook standings. He's 69 points behind William Byron, who is in the 16th and final postseason transfer position. Now, both drivers are looking for redemption at Daytona this weekend, as both finished with DNFs in the season-opening Daytona 500. Uh, Custer had a problem with his rear with the rear end of his car, and Reddick had a crash, uh, which took them out of that race. So both of them have had some really impressive runs this season. Uh, Tyler Reddick, uh, 563. Cole Custer, 469. Christopher Bell at 456. John Henry Nemechek at 373. Brennan Poole, 171. And Quinn Huff at 132 points. So you never know. Reddick could win that race. Well, and if he wants to continue to battle for the uh, Rookie of the Year, he's going to have to race his way in. I'm not sure if he can get in on points. We'll look at that up here a little bit later. Uh, But looking at Daytona Dominators, the best of the best at the World Center of Racing, and winning at one of NASCAR's most prestigious tracks, Daytona International Speedway, is a major accomplishment. So it's not at all surprising that the top ten series winningest drivers are all in the NASCAR Hall of Fame. When you look at top 10 overall, Richard Petty has 10 Daytona 500 wins, as well as seven in the summer race. Kelly Yarbrough with nine, five in the summer race. David Pearson, eight with three in the summer race. Fireball Roberts, seven with four in the summer. Bobby Allison and Jeff Gordon with six, three each coming in the summer races. Uh, Bill Elliott with four, two in the summer race. Dale Earnhardt, Okay, this chart's kind of slid over. Uh, Dale Earnhardt, four, or junior, four, with two and two. Dale Jarrett, four, three and one. Junior Johnson, four and oh. And Tony Stewart, uh, zero and four. Active Daytona winners, we got Denny Hamlin, which currently ha- who currently has three. Jimmy Johnson as well. Kevin Harvick, Matt Kenseth each have two. Eric Almirola and Austin Dillon, Brad Keselowski, Eric Jones, Joey Logano and Kurt Busch, Kyle Busch, Ricky Stenhouse, and Ryan Newman all with one. So this weekend, the Cup Series will have 13 former Daytona International Speedway winners entered, again led by Jimmy Johnson and Denny Hamlin with three each. The most recent winner at Daytona is entered in this weekend. That's Denny Hamlin, who won the last two Daytona 500s, in 2019 and 2020. And then Spire Motorsports' Justin Haley won the rain-shortened summer last season. However, he's not entered in the cup race this weekend. Joe Gibbs Racing's Denny Hamlin is not only tied for the lead in wins at Daytona amongst acts of drivers, he's also spent the most time out front of the field at the 2.5-mile super speedway amongst active drivers, leading a 521 laps of 4,981 completed for a 10.4% in 30 starts. Since the win in your end format for the playoffs was initiated in 2016, Eric Jones' 2018 summer race win is the only summer race at Daytona to catapult a driver into the postseason. The other three winners were either not eligible for the playoffs due to not competing for the championship in the series, such as Haley in 2019, 
or the drivers already had previously one win in the same season, as did Keselowski in 16 and Stenhouse in 17. But optimism is still permeating throughout the garage for the drivers outside that playoff cutoff, as several have run quite well in the summer months at Daytona. We'll take a look at the best, the top 10 in average finish in the summer race at Daytona. We look at Ty Dillon is at the top of that list with an average finish of 8.667 in four races. Eric Jones, 11.000 in four. Bubba Wallace at 14.667 in four. And Corey LaJoy at 16.00 in four. Now, Ryan Newman has 19 races in the summer at a 16 flat. Austin Dillon comes in at a 16.167 in 15, or sorry, seven starts. 15 starts is Clint Boyer with a 16.214. Kyle Busch at a 16.33 and 16 starts. Kenseth at 16.389 and 19. And Stenhouse at a 16.857 in eight starts. So those are the ones we're looking at as far as outside the points needing that victory to slide themselves in. Okay. Well, we'll talk now about that playoff bubble and the last chance to clinch a spot in the postseason. Uh, And that happens this weekend at Daytona International Speedway for the NASCAR Cup Series. Uh, So it's the last chance for all those drivers that are outside to get in. Now, there are 13 drivers that have already clinched their playoff spot, leaving just three spots for the other drivers to battle it out. The drivers that have already clinched uh, in the 16 uh, postseason field include Kevin Harvick and Denny Hamlin, Brad Keselowski, Martin Truex Jr., Joey Logano, Ryan Blaney, Chase Elliott, Eric Almirola, Kyle Busch, Kurt Busch, Alex Bowman, Austin Dillon, and Cole Custer. Now, those drivers that can clinch via points this weekend uh, include these drivers. If there's a new winner, that means that the following drivers could clinch by being ahead of the sixth winless driver in the standings. So Clint Boyer would clinch with three points, so he could clinch as early as the end of stage one. Matt DiBenedetto will need 51 points to clinch, and William Byron could only clinch with help, as uh, the same thing is true of Jimmy Johnson. As we mentioned before, there's only four points between them. Now, if there's a repeat winner, uh, one, of the drive, one of the 16 that already have wins, if that one of them win, the following drivers could clinch by being ahead of the seventh winless driver in the standings. So they would also clinch if there's a new winner among Eric Almirola, Kyle Busch, Kurt Busch, Clint Boyer, Matt Benedetto, or William Byron. So if any one of those drivers win, uh, it gives them a chance. Uh, and being ahead of the sixth winless driver in the standings. So Clint Boyer can clinch regardless of his finish. Uh, if that happens, Matt Benedetto would need 47 points to clinch. William Byron needs 52 points. Jimmy Johnson can only clinch with help, and Eric Jones can clinch with help. Now, what that means is if one of those drivers that are above the cutoff line, if they should happen to fall below, uh, or if those guys get a win, then they can clinch. Okay, now the following drivers can clinch with a win, a win and you're in, 
so it, the following drivers can clinch on a win alone. That includes uh, Clint Boyer. He has a Daytona average finish of 16.4. Matt DiBenedetto's Daytona finish is at 20. Average is at 21. William Byron's average at 23.6. Jimmy Johnson has an 18.3 average. Eric Jones, 18.4. Tyler Reddick has 27.5 average. Christopher Bell at 21.0. Chris Buescher at 21.2. Daryl Wallace Jr. at 16.5. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. at 18.8. Michael McDowell's average at 20.7. Ryan Newman has an average of 18.1. John Hunter Nemechek at 11.0. Ty Dillon at 20.4. Matt Kenseth at 19.0. Corey LaJoy at 19.7. Ryan Priest at 23. The following driver could clinch a win with a win and some help uh, clinching a top 30 position. That would be Daniel Suarez. His average finish at Daytona is 31.8. Now, Wood, um, Wood Brother Racing driver Matt Benedetto is just nine points up uh, above the playoff cut heading into this weekend's season finale. Last season in the summer races at Daytona, did Benedetto put on a strong performance? He finished eighth. It was his third top ten finish at the 2.5 mile Super Speedway. Just below De Benedetto in the standings is Hendrick Motorsports uh, teammate William Byron, who is in 16th place, who is in 16th, and that's the final playoff transfer spot, and seven-time series champion Jimmy Johnson, who's in 17th. That's the first spot outside the cutoff line. The two, again, are separated by just four points. Now, William Byron has made five series starts at Daytona, posting one top-five finish and a runner-up in July just last season. Byron also has won at Daytona in the Xfinity Series. He did that in July of 17. And Johnson brings more experience, much more experience, to this weekend's event. The veteran has made 37 starts at Daytona, posting three wins in February of 2006 and the 2013 sweep. He also has 12 top fives and 16 top tens. Uh, Let's see here. i got to scroll down here a minute. Okay, Uh, Daniel Suarez is right now outside of the top 30. That's why he needs help uh, to get into that top 30 in order to make it into the playoffs. Should he get a win? Uh, So that would mean somebody above that cutoff line would have to have a really bad day and go out of the race early, uh, which would lose them uh, that cushion that they have right now inside the top 16. This is going to be exciting to watch, Jay, uh, this race at Daytona, uh, because we all know that anything can happen. And nobody knows what will happen. (laughs) Most certainly. uh, Definitely going to add to that intrigue of this weekend, being a cutoff race and everything else. I'm going to break down a little more summer history for Daytona. It's hosted 146 NASCAR Cup Series races since the inaugural in 1959. 62 have been 500 miles. 
57 were 400 miles and four were 250 miles. There's also been 23 qualifier races that were points races, but this weekend marks the first time that the summer race will be the regular season finale. We look at active uh, summer race winners. Mentioned Eric Jones, July 7th, 2018. Ricky Stenhouse, July 1st of 2017. Brad Keselowski in 16 on the 2nd of July. Eric Almarola back in 2014 on the 6th. Jimmy Johnson also won on the 6th back in 2013. Harvick, 2010 on July 3rd. And Kyle Busch on July 5th of 2008. Now of those 146 Cup Series races, they've produced 62 different pole winners and 65 different race winners. 29 drivers have multiple Cup Series wins at Daytona. NASCAR Hall of Famer Richard Petty again leads that category and wins at Daytona with 10. Jimmy Johnson and Denny Hamlin lead all active, active drivers with three. And of the 65 Cup Series Daytona winners, 39 have won the summer race, and seven are entered into this weekend's event. Mentioned Eric Jones, Ricky Stenhouse, Brad Keselowski, Eric Almarola, Jimmy Johnson, Kevin Harvick, and Kyle Busch. A NASCAR Hall of Famer David Pearson leads in the summer race victories with five wins in 61, 72, 73, 74, and again in 78. Five drivers have posted consecutive summer race wins at Daytona International Speedway. That would be Fireball Roberts in 62 and 63, A.J. Foyt in 64, 65, Cale Yarbrough in 67 and 68, David Pearson in three in a row, as I mentioned, 72 through 74, and Tony Stewart in 2005 and 2006. The youngest Daytona summer race winner is Justin Haley, which was done last year on the 7th of 2019. He was 20 years, two months, nine days, an all-time track record. Uh, Trevor Bain did it in Daytona overall in uh February 20th, 2011, he was 20 years, zero months, and one day. The oldest Daytona summer race winner is Bobby Allison at 49 years, seven months, one day, with on July 4th of 87. The all-time track record also is Bobby Allison in 88 on the 14th of February at 50 years, five months, and 23 days. And here's something we want to look at based off of last year's and some other drivers that have done it 20 drivers have posted their first nascar cup series win at daytona 10 of the 20 drivers posted that first win in the summer race most recent again was last season's july winner justin haley and spire motorsports eric jones did it at age 22 in 2018 on the 7th of july eric almarola was 30 in 2014 when he did it on july 6th Remember, David Reagan did it on the 2nd of July in 2011 at age 25. Greg Biffle, being 33 years old, did it on the 5th of July in 2003. John Andretti, age 34, July 5th, 97. Jimmy Spencer, Mr. Excitement, July 2nd of 94 at age 37. Greg Sachs in 1985, when it was run actually on the 4th of July, was 32 years old. Sam McQuaig, also on the 4th of July in 1966 at the age of 28. And A.J. Foyt on the 4th of July in 1964, age 29. And what all those numbers mean? 
could be anybody, any age, and any team. That's right. This is the regular season finale. We know that Kevin Harvick has already clinched the championship for the regular season, but everybody now has a chance at Daytona. It all comes down to this weekend, the season finale, the Coke Zero Sugar 400 at Daytona International Speedway. For the first time in series history, the Nick Cup Series has overcome a stoppage in competition due to a pandemic. Mid-year scheduling changes and back-to-back doubleheaders to get to this point of the year have been the norm for 2020. Now the drivers have just one last chance to etch their names into the 2020 playoff grid as this is the first time that the Dona International Speedway has hosted the regular season finale. Since the inception of the playoffs in the series in 2004, um, Richmond held the regular season finale from 2004 to 2017, a total of 14 years. Then in 2018 and 19, Indianapolis Motor Speedway hosted the regular season uh, final event, and then the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs is currently operating in its third iteration of the postseason point system since its inception in 2004. The first playoff point system from 2004 to 9 had top 10 to 12 drivers earn their position into the playoffs by points only, and the second version of the playoff point system, 2010 to 2013, incorporated the top 10 drivers to get in on points or wins with the addition of two extra drivers referred to as the wild cards. Remember the wild cards? The third version of the playoff point system, 2014 to the present, features drivers vying for the top 16 playoff points, uh, the playoff spots, either by points or the win and you're in rule. The third version of the playoffs also instituted the elimination style format with four drivers being eliminated from the playoffs at the conclusion of each postseason round, culminating in the championship four, battling it out for the title season finale. Now, playoff systems, system one, from 2004 to six, the top 10 in points, top 12 in on points. Uh, four drivers have come from the outside the postseason cutoff to make it into the playoffs at Richmond in the first iteration of the format. Jeremy Mayfield did it in 2004. He made up a 55-point deficit. Ryan Newman in 2005 made up a one-point deficit. Casey Kane in 2006 made up a 30-point deficit. And Brian Vickers in 2009 made up a 20-point deficit. The playoff system, two from 2010 to 2013, the top ten in, uh, in on wins and or points in the two wild cards. Seven drivers have come from outside the postseason cutoff to make it into the playoffs at Richmond in the second iteration of the format that incorporates the wild card. Greg Biffle and Clint Boyer are the two drivers who clinched a wild card in 2010 to make the playoffs. Biffle was 11th in points with one win. Boyer was 12th in points with no wins heading into the regular season finale. Brad Keselowski and Denny Hamlin are two drivers that clinched the wild card in 2011 to make the playoffs. Keselowski was 11th in points with three wins. Hamlin was 12th in points with one win heading into that finale. Casey Kane and Jeff Gordon are the two drivers who clinched the wild card in 2012. 
Uh, Kane was 11th in points with two wins. Gordon was 13th with one head, one win heading into the regular season finale. Ryan Newman and Casey Kane are two drivers who clinched the wild card in 13. Kane was 12th in points with two wins. Newman was 14th in points with one win. Uh, now, due to a rare instance in the final race of the regular season that resulted in penalties that were issued, everybody will remember this. A 13th car, Jeff Gordon's number 24, was added to the playoffs. It was the second time in the playoff era the number of entries was expanded. Now, under the third uh, system uh, to the present, 2014 to the present, top 16 on wins or points with the elimination style. Uh, from Only one driver outside the playoff cutoff has raced their way into the playoffs in the regular season finale on points or last-minute wins. From 2014 to 18, drivers that won or were inside the top six teams were expected to make the playoffs and did. No drivers raced their way into the playoffs in the regular season finale or points on points or wins. Last season, heading into the season finale at Indianapolis, Ryan Newman was tied with Daniel Suarez for 16th and the final transfer position to the playoffs. Newman finished 8th in the regular season finale to Suarez's 11th, earning him that final transfer spot into the postseason. So some interesting uh, history there with uh, the playoff points, the way uh, they've been through three changes in NASCAR. I always like looking back at some of the history stuff, the names and things we've seen. So uh, always interesting to look at that kind of information. Okay, now you know I went right into the uh, the uh, preview because we did not have time to do any post-race audio there. It is the top of the hour, and that means it is now time for NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. And joining us is uh, Mike Orzel. Welcome to the show, Mike. Hello. And also our co-host for NASCAR Hot Topics, Andy Lasky. Welcome to the show, Andy. Thanks, Sharon. How's everyone doing? Uh, I think we're doing quite all right. Uh, Jay and I just barely made it, but we got our preview in uh, in time here tonight. So, uh, Andy, why don't you kick us off for the uh, hot topics for tonight? Sure. Let's start out with a little Xfinity Series news from today. Noah Gregson's back in the nine car for 2021. Yes, indeed. Mike, why don't you uh, give us your thoughts about that to kick it off? Yeah, this was uh, pretty entertaining the way this was done. Um, this kind of kicked off yesterday on Twitter with Gregson hinting about signing some, quote, very important papers. He showed off a pen, and he did an Instagram live stream at like 1 o'clock in the morning yesterday where he was really coy about exactly what he had signed and what he was doing and it led to a lot of speculation that he had signed on to be in the 48 car. Um, I think it's a better move that he ends up going back to uh, to Junior Motorsports for another year in the Xfinity Series. Noah Gregson has talent. I know it's going to shock Jay to hear me say that, but he, he does. He has talent. He's a talented driver. 
um, and he's got potential for the future, but I really don't think he's ready for a Cup Series ride yet. Um, we've seen drivers get moved up into the Cup Series probably too early into rides that they weren't ready for, and it ended up hurting them in the long run. Probably most recently we saw that with Daniel Suarez, where he ended up moving into the Cup Series to replace Carl Edwards. And as experienced as, as Suarez was being the reigning Xfinity Series champion, he wasn't really ready for the Cup Series ride, or at least not at the level that he ended up in. And the performance that he produced wasn't up to what would be expected for moving into a ride like that. And I think it led to a negative impact on Suarez's career that finds him now driving the 96 car versus a top-level Cup ride. So getting a little bit more experience in the Xfinity Series might end up helping Noah Gregson in the long run. Okay, Jay, your thoughts? Well, I'll, I'll return the favor here and, and agree with Mike. Uh, you know, I know we talked about that of him possibly moving into the number 48, but I do think that another year or so in the Xfinity Series obviously is going to be the benefit of his long-term uh, cup career when he gets there. Uh, and I'll give a different example that we've seen recently as Eric Jones. And although he's won races, obviously still got pushed out at Joe Gibbs Racing, and not able to hold on to that top top tier team. We'll, we'll have to wait and see where he ends up. But kind of the same situation that they were high on him. William Byron, he's yet to win a Cup race, uh, you know, and he was one that another one that uh, appeared to be on that fast track. And I know it took Chase Elliott some time. We'll see that with William Byron again. Eric Jones winning, but not on a consistent enough level to keep his ride at Joe Gibbs Racing. So. Uh, my only concern then is is where does he go if he does another one year or two year uh, where he goes when that opportunity becomes available uh, as far as there, like being a ride at Hendrick Motorsports or whether he ends up at another team. But I do think for the long-term effect of his NASCAR Cup Series career, this is a good move. Okay. The only thing that I have to add uh, to all of that before we go to Andy is that I do think that this is a good move for Noah Gregson to stay in the number nine at Junior Motorsports. Um, you know, Junior was a little bit critical of him a few weeks ago when he uh, there was a graphic that was put up on the TV saying that in the last 12 races or whatever the number was that Noah Gregson had been involved in some kind of an on-track incident. Uh, and I think that they must have had some kind of a heart-to-heart, and I know you guys mentioned it on the uh, chat room earlier, uh, and I agree with that. I I think that there must have been a heart-to-heart conversation that took place, and uh, uh, if you've noticed that uh, Noah Gregson has not had those on-track incidents like he was having in the earlier part of the season. So that maturity seems to be starting to show. I do think one more year in the Xfinity Series will benefit uh, his maturity and uh, give him a chance to go after a championship, Uh, if not this year, then certainly next year for sure. Uh, So... uh, I, I think it's the right move. So, Andy, I'm curious to know your thoughts. Yeah, it's 100% the right move. I think that, you know, we, Mike and I were talking earlier today, um, you know, as we saw in the group chat about, you know, the repercussions if he were to move to the Cup Series next year. So, for the sake of his mm-hmm. own career and longevity, I think that, um, you know, a third year full-time in the Xfinity Series is the right move. If you look at his stats, you know, this year is an improvement from last year, but there's still 
probably room for him to grow. I mean, two wins to this point in the season is good, but is it worthy of a Cup Series ride? Hard to say. So I think for him to be able to move into, well, I should say stay in the nine car for next season, it really provides him the opportunity to go out there and and maybe win, you know, five to six, seven or eight races and be a championship contender and then go to the Cup Series. I mean, that a move like this can make or break someone's career long term. And I think that in order for him to, to sustain himself for a long period in the sport, it's the right thing to do. And, and to everyone else's point, you know, we haven't really seen him in the spotlight the last several weeks, but that's a really good thing because the reasons he was in the spotlight earlier this year were not necessarily for good reasons other than his two wins that he's earned. So uh, for him to kind of take a state, take a step back and, and just finish these races, keep the cars intact and not be involved in on-track incidents is a really good thing. Um, for me personally, I've noticed a, a, a very positive demeanor in the last few weeks, and he's really, I think, conducted himself pretty well. So, you know, for him to – you know, hopefully finish out the season strong, maybe win some more races and go into next year and uh, really light the series on fire, I think provides him the opportunity to to really well prepare himself for the Cup Series because I, I truly think that, you know, and I could be proven wrong, it's been done all the time, <laughs> but, um, you know, I just would have been really worried for his career if he was to go to the Cup Series next year. Okay, Mike, follow-up? Yep. We saw this with another driver who also happened to drive the nine car. Uh, Tyler Reddick tore up a lot of nine cars when he drove for Junior Motorsports. Yeah, he won the championship. He ended up not coming back to Junior Motorsports, and he spent another year in the Xfinity Series racing for Richard Childress. And that extra year in the Xfinity Series saw Tyler Reddick develop into a much more mature, more disciplined, and realistically a much better race car driver and then when he moved into the cup series this year we've seen him he hasn't won a race yet but he's been a contender to win races on many weeks and i think that would never have happened if he hadn't spent that extra year in the xfinity series developing that um racing discipline and on-track awareness that he really didn't show when he was in the the nine car for junior motorsports okay jay yeah, we, we've seen this in another example again, and he did get a win, is Cole Custer. He's another one that maybe could have moved, been moved up the year prior, but team owner uh, said they wanted to see him winning on a more consistent basis. We saw that. We saw him battle for the championship yet again prior to moving up to Cup. And although, again, rookie season, no practice has been tough on him, he did have that one victory and is going into the playoffs. So, uh, that's another example of, you know, the other side of that, of spending that extra year or two in the Xfinity Series isn't a bad thing. Okay, Andy, I'm not going to add anything to that. I think those guys brought up good points. What are your thoughts? Uh, I don't have any follow-up either, Sharon. I'm in good shape to move on. Okay, so, Mike, let's go to you for the next topic. This is a bit of a follow-up on something y'all were talking about on Monday's show. Jay brought up that there had been rumors about a potential ownership change for Richard Petty Motorsports involving Denny Hamlin and Michael Jordan. Uh, We know that Denny Hamlin and Michael Jordan have a very close partnership with the Jordan brand. On Tuesday, Bob Pockers came out and said that Michael Jordan unequivocally is not involved in any talks to purchase a NASCAR team, the 43 or otherwise. So it looks like maybe the rumor about Michael Jordan being involved is probably a little bit uh, 
a little bit dispelled. But interestingly, there wasn't any sort of uh, tamping down of, of Denny Hamlin being involved in that. I'm not sure if that means that the Hamlin thing is still valid or not. Again, this is all 100% rumor and speculation. But at least we know that Michael Jordan is not currently involved in it, according to Bob Pappas. Okay. Um, Jay? Well, and that is true, which puts out a little bit of the smoker fire, but there is still a lot as far as Toyota as an uh, manufacturer talking to Richard Petty Motorsports, as well as Denny Hamlin, because it's being looked at as far as what the rules are as far as Hamlin driving for a four-car team and then owning a part of a fifth, which is not legal per their rules now. Um, But there's still a lot of, and from what I've read, and the number of sites and different uh, outlets that have picked up on this story, I mean, it sounds like it's almost ready to be put pen to paper. Whether or not it's next year or not, there was talk, uh, discussion of that being that it would be a one-year prior to the Gen 20 car coming out, whether or not they would get the cars that were originally leased to Levine Family Racing. Uh, So there's still quite a bit of smoke and fire there between Denny Hamlin, Toyota, and Richard Petty Motorsports along with driver Bubba Wallace. So uh, this this story isn't quite over, but you're right. Jordan coming out um, obviously would probably still be involved as far as the sponsorship to Denny Hamlin, but not necessarily on the ownership side. Okay, Andy? Well, I I read the same thing that you all did, and, and, you know, it's, you know, never say never in terms of Michael Jordan. I mean, we see PR moves all the time that, deny 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 and oh by the way now it's official so (laughs) you just you just never really know what's going to happen but there's there's a ton of moving parts involved in this when it comes to a manufacturer change investors um you know trying to retain Bubba Wallace who by the way has brought in several new sponsors this year um the Denny Hamlin side of it which you know Jay brings up a really good point they haven't he hasn't been denied um, as far as involvement is concerned at all. And maybe since a lot of this has come out this week, maybe he'll have something to say about it this weekend at Daytona. Um, but there's just a ton of moving parts with this that um, really makes it quite interesting to watch and follow. And, and even Bubba Wallace, I don't think, is is um, you know necessarily still tied to that team moving forward. He's been rumored to have offers from larger organizations, more competitive teams. So, uh, it's going to be really interesting to see if all this comes together and if they can retain Bubba, and, and if so, I mean, it has the potential to, to really elevate that program. So it'll be it'll be interesting, to say the least, certainly something to, to keep our eyes on. And silly season in true fashion, it uh, gets crazy this time of year, and this is certainly one of the bigger storylines. All right. I think you guys all bring up some great points. I don't have much to add, so, Mike, I'm going to go back to you for follow-up. Well, it's not Denny Hamlin. It's going to have to be someone at some point in terms of the future of Richard Petty Motorsports. Uh, Richard Petty's a legend of the sport. He's been around with it forever, it, it seems. Um, but he's also into his mid-80s at this point. Richard's not going to be with us forever, unfortunately. So there will end up being a transition of Richard Petty Motorsports, whether their association with RCR rolls into more of a permanent ownership model or if it gets spun off with a different investor, Denny Hamlin or otherwise. I think we, we haven't stopped talking about the future of Richard Petty Motorsports over the next few years as that team finds its next generation of ownership and leadership. Jay? 
it would be really interesting, and, and I look back to what Tony Stewart, uh, with Stuart Haas Racing did, uh, as Sharon and I talked about, he really doesn't, the championship is the only thing he hasn't accomplished at Joe Gibbs Racing, has a really solid shot at it this year. So, I mean, it might be one of those where he, he knows what his next step in his career is um, with that. And if that's the, the road he wants to go down, give back to the sport, be involved at that ownership driver level. Uh, we saw Tony Stewart make a good go of it. So uh, we'll be quite interesting whether or not what other backers come into play and the drivers. Uh, again, that's still kind of, we get little answers and more questions. Okay. I, I think it's uh, going to be interesting to watch to see what actually does transpire. Uh, a lot of speculation right now, and uh, I agree with Andy, never say never. Uh, you never know what can happen and who, how things might change between what people have heard at this point and uh, the, all the moving pieces that you talked about. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the end, but we we know something good is going to happen there. Andy? Yeah, and I think that um, we probably just need to get through this weekend. I think once the playoff field's set and things are uh, set in motion for, for the playoffs, we'll probably learn some stuff here in the coming weeks as far as changes go because once a team is eliminated from the playoffs then you start to see a lot of announcements so um, we'll probably start to see things slowly come together for 2021 here in the next few weeks all right mike any follow-up yeah as far as uh dry, current drivers who potentially could transition into that owner driver role i really agree with jay and andy and that i think denny hamlin is probably one of the better positioned drivers to do so um he is obviously a very good race car driver but he also has a very strong business sense uh he's had a very strong partnership with fedex but he also has a lot of partnerships with other brands most notably the jordan brand who otherwise aren't really connected to nascar so denny has his fingers in a lot of different pies that may transition nicely into being an owner even not an owner driver just like tony stewart did step away and in, into the pure ownership role at some point in his career okay jay that leads us to you for the uh, next topic how are we doing on time we're, we're good right now all right. A lot of this week has been made out of uh, one audio clip between William Byron and Chad Canals. I know the pressure's on there on the playoff bubble. Uh, things got a little vocal over the radio. Where where does this relationship go from there? Okay, Andy, we'll start with you on that one. <laughs> Truthfully, I think that, um, and this, this specifically was during Saturday's Cup Series race at Dover, uh, I really think that a lot of it just stems from playoff pressure. And I would have been more, and I know I think Sharon and I talked about this during the chat, that, you know, I at the time I felt like the team was slowly starting to unravel and implode going into the playoffs, but they proved me wrong on Sunday. They turned it around 180 degrees. They had a fast car. They, you know, were able to put together two really good stages and earn a top five finish. And that leads me to believe that there's really nothing to look into uh, in, in terms of, a, you know, any negativity with their relationship. I, you know, I think that Chad Canales has a history and even look at, you know, him and, and Johnson, you know, they were seven time champions together and they had their issues over the years. Uh, I think it's just in the nature of Chad Canals to to kind of be that way, you know, for lack of a better term. So, um, 
you know, but I would have been more concerned had they not gone out there and, and put together a really strong performance on Sunday, which keeps them in the hunt to, to make the playoffs this year. So uh, as far as their relationship is concerned, I think it's just in the nature of, of, of Chad, you know, and um, I, I suppose that we'll see how the playoffs go and progress, but certainly um, after Saturday's race, I, I had some concerns, and, and they really turned it around and proved me wrong on Sunday. So if they can go out there and, and uh, earn some stage points and have a really good run and maybe even win Saturday night, I, I think it proves all the naysayers wrong. All right. Mike, your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with Andy. Uh, in terms of any kind of like negative thing going on systemically in the team, I don't think there's anything there. Um, anyone who's listened to Chad Knauss and Jimmy Johnson on the radio like I have uh, at, at races, that's kind of par for the course, and that's maybe like a 6 out of 10 in terms of the things that Chad Canales would say on the radio back and forth with his driver. Um, and that's not the only crew chief driver relationship that sounds like it's strained on the radio. If you listen to the, uh, to the radioactive from the – uh, first Pocono race in 2015, they highlight Jeff Gordon and Alan Gustafson going at it pretty nasty to each other, worse than, than Chad Knauss and William Byron by, by quite a wide margin. And obviously that team went on to uh, contend for a championship th- that year. So I really don't think that there's any kind of a long-term break in, in their, their professional or personal relationship to worry about. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that as well. I think that things are just fine. I think that uh, uh, what happens is you've got somebody like uh, Chad Knauss uh, that sees that as his job. He pushes his driver to be better and to do better. Uh, sometimes it works for drivers. Sometimes it backfires. Uh but as Andy pointed out, it really pushed uh, William Byron to have a good run this past weekend. And so I think that's that's a really good thing. Um, so I don't see that there's any problem between uh, Chad Knauss and William Byron. Uh, so, Jay, I'm curious now to know your thoughts. Well, I, I know they all, they both both sides kind of tried to downplay it, but – I've all, we've also seen this in the past, specifically with Chad Knauss. Uh, if you're a in-depth fan, you remember the milk and cookie session with Chad Knauss and Jimmy Johnson that uh, Rick Hendrick <laughs> sat him down to. But I also think back to Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Tony Urie Jr. Uh, kind of went through the same thing, and then they split. And Jr. admits it probably was a mistake, but that that – that atmosphere does need to be addressed. It can't be a constant thing like that because it does tend to grind on you, whether it's in a positive uh, attempt to be positive and motivate a driver, it can still lead to a negative thing. So I think you've got to tread lightly with it. But at this point, I think it was a little bit more media spun up than anything else. I just don't want to see it develop down the line. Again, we saw Jimmy Johnson as Chad Knauss as inseparable, and here they are apart, so... Okay, Andy, that leads us to you. I've got a call to screen, so if I don't come back, Mike follows Andy. <laughs> yeah, uh, just okay, to follow ahead. up, uh, I love Radioactive. <laughs> it's just so much fun to listen to. And, and obviously the, the clip with uh, Byron, you know, this weekend was, was entertaining more than anything. And, you know, I listen to it every single week with Boyer, Um you know, if things don't go quite right during a race, it's uh, something to, to listen to. So 
Uh, it's just the nature of the. Uh, it's just the nature of racing. I mean, crew members and, and drivers, spotters, you know, everyone gets worked up and fired up during the course of a race, and it's just it's just part of NASCAR. It's always going to be that way. So, um, just part of the deal. And then, like I said, you know, those guys really turned it around and and showed that um, I don't think there's any issue there at all. Okay, Mike, you're up next. Yeah, we're talking about, especially with Chad Knauss, but and William Byron as well, two professionals at the highest level of stock car racing. Um, type A personalities. Chad Knauss, a seven-time Cup Series champion. William Byron, an Xfinity Series champion. Both of them want to be better. That's really where it comes mm-hmm. down to. And I think there's probably a little bit of frustration on Chad Knauss' part. I think he feels that the team is not performing at a level that he would like them to perform at and there's probably is a little bit of frustration shining through there um and that probably comes through on the radio a little bit but at the same time i would be hesitant to interpret that as some sort of a long-term problem with the team that needs to be overcome versus some some drivers and a crew chief who are currently not satisfied with the performance of the team and, and rightly so okay i don't really have anything to add so jay what are your final thoughts on this I would just keep an eye on it. Like I said, you know, having that occasionally, and it takes the the right crew chief and driver combination to be able to do that on a weekly basis and and manage to work through it. We've seen it with Kyle Busch and and, um, I can't think of his first name, his crew chief. Adam Adam Stevenson. There we go. Um, You know, they've managed to work through it, but we also see him in in a rather slump right now. So, Again, it takes that right combination. I just don't want to see it become an issue later down the road. Okay. We'll let that be the final word there. Andy, we're back to you for the next hot topic. Um, Yeah, I'll let you introduce it, and then I'll do my spiel. Sounds good. Uh, Greg Biffle is back to race Darlington in the trucks next week. (laughs) Okay, I'll go ahead and do the spiel here. Uh, We uh, uh, go off the air at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time, but we do continue recording the rest of the conversation as part of our bonus overtime material, uh, and uh, fans will be able to listen to that. If you've listened to the live broadcast, all you have to do is to fast forward uh, to the two-hour mark to hear the rest of the conversation. If you're uh, listening to the podcast, it'll be pretty seamless. You'll be able to listen straight through. We do like to give everybody a heads up at this point, though, in case you're a first-time listener. Uh, We just want to make sure everybody's aware that uh, we are continuing that conversation and that you will be able to hear the rest of it on the podcast. I go out on Twitter uh, when we complete our program and uh, let everybody know that the podcast is now available, uh, and then that's when you should be able to do that fast-forwarding up to the two-hour mark to hear the rest of the conversation. So now that there won't be any surprises for anybody, uh, let's go to Mike. What are your thoughts about Greg Biffle coming back? Oh, I'm thrilled to see I'm thrilled to see Greg Biffle back. Um, now, Andy didn't mention he's in a GMS racing truck this time. Uh, remember last year he drove for Kyle Busch in one of the KBM trucks. This time it's GMS. 
Um, GMS kind of teased it a couple days ago. They put up some complicated algebra problem that if you solved it, you got the answer 69, which kind of led back to some previous tweets that Biffle had made. Um, so a couple people connected those dots, but really, I don't know how many people really saw this coming. Uh, it's great to see Greg Biffle back. Uh, remember last year, he swung in in that Kyle Busch truck and won the race, and it was a triple chuck challenge race, and he stole a bunch of kids' lunch money that night. And correct me if I'm wrong, I believe Darlington is the third race in that triple truck challenge as well. Uh, Daytona is the third race in the triple truck challenge. Jay, okay, I, I missed it then. Yeah, they, they, Dover was the second race, and what was the race? Oh, the Daytona road course was the first. Okay, Jay. Okay. Okay, do I get to correct you both? Because the trucks aren't running Daytona Super Speedway. They're running Gateway, the WWT. Oh, they're running Gateway. Gateway. You're right. Gateway is the third segment. Um, with that, I'm, I'm with you guys. I'd love to see Greg Biffle back. He was one that when he, when he ended up leaving, uh, I didn't like to see him go. I would like to see him as well as some other drivers come back, especially in that truck series. I know Sharon and I have talked about this, of following your cup career moving to another series, whether it be on full-time basis or not, but even just being involved. And I mean, if you, if you want to step away, Carl Edwards, Ricky Rudd, we've talked about, you know, that's your choice, but to be involved in, to come back and race like that and still have such an impact again. And I say the truck series, because these drivers can be such a mentor and example to the younger drivers and help these younger drivers as they get to battle against some great veterans. Not that we don't already have some veterans of Matt Crafton and Johnny Sauter in that series, but somebody with the, the cup-level experience such as Greg Biffle. Um, and if it's on a part-time basis, you're not going to see the fans scream like you do when they do Kyle Busch, who is still running cup series on a, on a yearly basis. So I think it's a good thing for the sport overall. Yeah, Jay's right. I've been an advocate of uh, some of these drivers coming back to the truck series or driving in the cup series. I remember having a conversation with uh, Ross Chastain at the track one year, and Jay, you might have been with me when I said it to him. I would, I told him then I'd love to see him race in the truck series at some point, and uh, it wasn't long after that that he was racing in the truck series. Um, I think it's great to see these guys uh, mix it up a little bit and, and come and race in the truck series or come and race in the Xfinity series. I know that's controversial. A lot of people don't like it, but uh, I think it's uh, I think it's uh, a lot of fun to watch these guys come back and race, and I wouldn't mind seeing Greg Biffle race uh, full-time in the uh, truck series if he were to be able to get a ride and be able to do that. So, yeah, I think it's great to see him come back. And, uh, Andy, I'm curious to know your thoughts. Yeah, I'm really, I'm pretty excited. You know, I mean, I remember Biffle when he first got started in NASCAR and how much success he had. And, honestly, um, you know, there's a potential for him to really put it to him next week in terms of, um, you know, getting out front and leading and, and contending for the win. He... Um, you know, has a lot of success at Darlington. I'm pretty sure he's a previous winner in not just the Xfinity Series, but the Cup Series as well. 
and the truck series hasn't been to Darlington in quite some time. I forget the year exactly, but I want to say it's been nine years since they last ran there. So with his experience and the lack of experience by the majority of the field, it really puts him in a position to go out there and, and potentially dominate that race. But it, first and foremost, it's just really cool to see him back. Uh, wish he wish he ran more than he did. And um, anytime he comes back and races uh, a truck or a car, it's always cool and, and certainly uh, good to see him uh, get that opportunity, especially with GMS Racing, who, you know, is certainly one of the top teams in the truck series. Okay, Mike. Yeah, I don't. I think we're uh, we're not the only people excited to see Greg Biffle come back. I'm always surprised when I go to the racetrack, and even years after he's left the series, I still see a lot of people wearing Greg Biffle merchandise around the track. So there's still a lot of Biff fans out there. Okay, Jay, any final thoughts? Oh yeah, always stick with the Biff. <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, I'm done. Uh, Andy, any final thoughts on your end? Uh, no fault set. Okay, so we'll move on to Mike for the next topic then. Yeah, so after the Cup Series race in Dover, uh, Cole Custer stuck around for two more days, and he did testing in the Gen 7 car. And it was the first official test of the Gen 7 car since they've come back uh, from the COVID pandemic. And he has some interesting things to say about the car and depending on how you read between the lines, some of it wasn't necessarily positive. Um, He described the car as having a very – sharp line and if you stay on one side of the line the car is very drivable and and fairly forgiving to drive but as soon as you step across that edge the car becomes very very difficult to drive and he said it's not as easy to uh to slide it around sideways and recover as a current cup series car interesting was he the only one who tested it at Dover, he was. Now, obviously, there's been previous drivers, uh, William Byron, Joey Logano, and others who've tested the car at other locations at other times. So Custer was the only one to do the Dover test, as far as I know. Oh, okay. Jay, your thoughts? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to side with Kyle Busch on this one, which is going to put me on a list. I'm not sure I want to be on as far as siding with Kyle <laughs> Busch, but... Kyle said it needs to be. It needs to be where the driver has to handle the car, and it's on the driver to perform, not just a car. If it, if it's set up where it's uh, on a rail and whatever, anybody can come in and do it. So I go back to that. I'm not saying I want it to where you're going to see everybody wrecking every week, but I do want to see it where it is the best drivers that are handling the cars and not the cars there and the driver just along for the ride. So I – I took I took what Cole Custer had to say. Again, I don't want it to where that, you know, it's going to take a behemoth in order to just manhandle the car and, and keep it straight. But have it on that edge, like you said, where it's going to take the driver to be able to handle it and make it work. So I'm kind of looking forward to it that it's a little bit out there on that edge. Okay, Andy, your thoughts? Yeah, I completely agree with Jay. I mean, the Cup Series isn't intended to be easy, and unfortunately the current 550 package has been uh, compared to slot cars because, you know, it's just follow the leader, you can't pass, and um, they're pretty easy to drive, and it's, um, I shouldn't say easy to drive, but easier to drive than in years past. And and furthermore, you know, it's it's easy for the car to get out of shape and recover it, but the fact is driving a cup car is expected to be difficult, and it it actually makes me happy to hear 
that um, the car is more difficult to drive than the current uh, package that they have with the Cup Series cars. So to me, that's really encouraging, and that's a step in the right direction. And, you know, I, I think for me, I'm really curious to see how the car handles when they get a few of them out there because as far as I know, they've only ran it as a single car test each time. So uh, it'll be curious to see, you know, how it how it works in a pack and how it works around others. But certainly there's a long way to go when it comes to testing. But uh, those comments uh, that you just mentioned, Jay, to me are encouraging. And and I'd have to agree with both Jay and Andy on that. I think, I think uh, the drivers have been asking for it to be more in their hands, and this sounds like it certainly is. So I think that's a positive thing. And uh, I'm curious to know, though, Mike, what some of the other drivers have said about that car. Um, William Byron has probably said the most about driving the car, and it's kind of a similar thing where the car is edgy, and and, and they both use that word. Um, I know from you know listening to to race scanners, when gr- drivers are describing current cars as edgy, it's usually not a a good thing, and it's something that the crews are trying to correct. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with them trying to take aerodynamics out of the game a little bit, which would be great. If you look at the at the, the Gen 7 car, at least the current test version of it, it looks a whole lot more symmetrical than the current slab-sided version of the, the Gen 6 car, where you look down the side of the Gen 6 car, and it's pretty much a straight-line, flat-sided car to generate as much side force as possible, versus the Gen 7 car has a much more contoured side that tends to more mimic the lines of a normal street car. Obviously, that body's going to change somewhat as it gets adapted to the different manufacturers are going to be competing in the 2022 season when the Gen 7 car finally comes out. But if they are trying to take some of that side force and aerodynamic away from the car, hopefully that does put it more in the driver's hands. And if nothing else, we'll, we may see fewer crashes that come along from the car on the inside getting the side force removed from them by a car on the outside of them and losing control of the car. Um, maybe it'll end up being a more predictable car. I'm no engineer, so don't ask me how or why, but I am encouraged to hopefully see some better racing coming from that Gen 7 car not being as reliant on aerodynamics and side force. Okay, Jay. Yeah, that's what that's what it'll ultimately come down to. As Andy mentioned, so far it's been single car test sessions. It'll be once you get them in a pack and how they affect around each other, and, again, you can really see who's developed the car versus just using the arrow with it. Um, and, again, it'll take a, a learning curve. We'll see which teams hit on it quicker or uh, faster. Uh, we always see that no matter what, what comes out of it. Um, but that'll be interesting to see. And, and again, uh, mixing that up, maybe we see a different team find something quicker than anybody else, and, and they get their little spotlight if you will before the mega teams eventually always do figure it out and come back out on top okay andy yeah i'm excited to hopefully see less dependence on arrow it seems like we talk about it or you know every week during these races especially with the intermediate tracks and so if they can you're never going to be able to eliminate aerodynamics it's simply part of racing but if you could 
you know, make the car less aero dependent and put it more in the driver's hands. That's a win-win situation, I think, for not only the drivers, but the fans too. So hopefully that's what they do. I mean, the car looks pretty cool from what I've seen, and obviously a lot of work's gone into it so far. So looking forward to seeing further development, and uh, I guess we'll have to wait a year and a half to see it in action. But um, I'm hoping that it's it's a pretty, not only a really cool car, but it produces a good on-track product as well. Yeah, that side draft has been kind of become a uh, a means of making passes, and I agree with you guys. I think that that has to go. Uh, a lot of these guys uh, do it well, but there's a lot of guys that don't do it well, and they end up wrecking people. And uh, sometimes it's intentional, I suppose, but a lot of times it's not even intentional that they're wrecking people. Uh, it, it's just the way the, the aerodynamics work with these cars. So I'm glad if, if they can make that go, I think that's going to be a positive for the sport, no doubt about it. Mike, your final thoughts? Yeah, the one thing that I haven't heard any of the drivers who've tested this car say is that it drives like the Gen 6 car. Every single one of them has said that the car drives very, very differently. So it's definitely going to be a learning curve for both the teams and the drivers to adapt to, and they will. I, we're talking Once again, we're talking mm-hmm. about the very best people in the sport who are involved with not just the development of it, but once it gets into the hands of the teams, again, we're talking about the very best engineers, crew chiefs, and drivers in the world who are going to get to chew on this thing and make it their own. Um, but it's definitely going to be a learning curve and a challenge for them, and I look forward to seeing how they work around it. Absolutely. Okay, Jay, we're back to you. Did you have any other uh, topics? I most certainly do. Uh, (laughs) We're coming up to Daytona. We've talked about what a wild card the weekend is. It is 2020. We have seen everything possible under the sun come about in NASCAR. So how about this? Eric Jones re-signs with Joe Gibbs Racing in the number 11 that Denny Hamlin vacates. (laughs) I was wondering when somebody would say that. Okay, Andy, your thoughts? That would be wild, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, oh, man, it's going to be interesting to, to see how and if that plays out. Truthfully, I think Hamlin's going to be back in the 11 car and, and I think possibly retire there. But um, crazier things have happened. You never know. That's just the thing. We don't. It's all speculation at this point. Mike? Yeah, I really don't see Denny Hamlin leaving Joe Gibbs Racing for a couple reasons. First and foremost, obviously, his performance. So he's got six wins so far this season, one of the favorites for the championship. Um, Plenty of competitive years left ahead of him. I think he can stay racing there for as long as he wants. The other big tie that Denny Hamlin has to Joe Gibbs Racing is the FedEx sponsorship. Uh, I can tell you that FedEx is extremely proud to have Denny Hamlin as their representative, and I think he represents the brand extremely well. So I don't think the sponsor uh, sponsor is going to be very keen to see that driver replaced, especially, once again, given the performance and return on investment that that driver is providing to that sponsorship relationship. Yeah, I would think if if uh, Denny Hamlin were to leave Joe Gibbs Racing, I think FedEx would follow him wherever he went. Uh, so uh, I I would not see that being an issue. But I do think that uh, uh, there are so many possibilities here uh, and reasons for why it could or couldn't happen. And I'll just play devil's advocate. Uh, they maybe Toyota. 
uh, is uh, they don't have as many players in the game anymore. So Toyota's looking to expand, and they're seeing RPM as an opportunity to do that. And why not take somebody who's had the most wins this season uh, to go over to that team and to help make that happen uh, as part of that expansion? So uh, I I do think, uh, again, I'm playing devil's advocate here, but I do think it is a possibility. Uh, and so we're going to have to kind of wait and see what actually does transpire. Uh, You've got to look at where Toyota is coming from, too. Toyota has already said, uh, to answer Jay's question, uh, that they are parting ways with Eric Jones. Uh, they would have to rescind that statement, uh, just like Joe Gibbs Racing, I guess. But uh, uh, I, I don't really see him coming back there. I think there are other opportunities for Eric Jones. And quite honestly, I, I don't think it would be a good move for Eric Jones to go back into that Joe Gibbs Racing uh, fold. I think that he has a time, uh, an opportunity to shine under the tutelage of another organization, and I think it would be a good thing for him to move into another organization in order to make that happen. So, Jay, what are your thoughts? Well, I'm kind of on the other side of it. Of, of I think that, again, just based off of everything I've seen, that this Toyota deal with Richard Petty Motorsports and Denny Hamlin's involvement, um, you know, Jordan came out and said, I'm not involved. Denny Hamlin hasn't come out and said he's not. Now, whether exactly. FedEx goes with him, like you said, there, there's multiple levels to that. Maybe maybe FedEx is, is the money coming in with it, um, and that would be why Denny Hamlin's willing to do it. We don't know that. Again, it is pure speculation, but there is just so much out there, and it's building, and nobody has shut the Denny Hamlin portion down. Michael Jordan shut down his portion, but does still have the connection to Denny Hamlin. Nothing has been said as far as that, um, which makes me, again, uh, I just feel like it has it has come really close to being pen to paper. Uh, be very interesting, and if, the, if it were ever going to happen, this would be the year for it to happen. Do you think Eric Jones is coming back to JGR? No. I thought that okay, was yeah. the well, yeah, going, going back to that, you're right. Of That's kind of where it started. With that, you're right. I don't think that even if the opportunity were there, um, you know, I know that everybody's trying to be professional, and, you know, I appreciate the time at Joe Gibbs, but I'm moving on. For him to come back to the organization, uh, I think would be a little tense and tricky. So I, I think you're right. I think he does need to move on to another organization. Um with that, but again, that there is that possibility. I mean, we've seen it before. They just showed a replay or uh, what if Wednesday of Dale Earnhardt leaving Richard Childress Racing and coming back to him. So you never know what could happen. Yeah, that is interesting. Okay, Andy, your thoughts? Uh, I don't really have any follow up. Truthfully, I'm good. Okay, Mike. I suppose it's not unprecedented. Tony Stewart did leave two championships behind at Joe Gibbs Racing to go start his own team, uh, or at least partner with Gene Haas to become an owner-driver. So it's definitely not out of the realm of possibility, nor would it be unprecedented. But at the same time, with Denny Hamlin, we're talking about a driver who's got over a decade 
at the same team with the same number with the same sponsor. And that is a bit of a legacy that's important to a lot of people. I'm not sure if it's going to be super important to Denny Hamlin, but I know for a lot of drivers it probably would be. So that's definitely another thing to consider whether or not he would end up making that move. And I really can't say with any certainty. Yeah, that's just it. None of us can say with any certainty because we're all speculating here. Uh, but Joey Logano left Joe Gibbs Racing, and it, it turned out to be a really good move for him. And I think the same thing is a potential for uh, Eric Jones. I think that moving for him is going to be a good thing, and uh, I, I think it's going to help him grow as a driver and kind of expand uh, and show his talents as a driver as well. And... Uh, uh, it's uh, like you say, it's not unprecedented, but uh, we'll have to wait and see what happens. Jay, final thoughts? No, I got no more. Again, there was just kind of a curiosity thing of that possibility even being open that he comes back not under the same team to a different team, but under the same organization. But I, I'm kind of gotcha. with you. I think I think that's one of those you got to take that open door to a new opportunity. Okay, Andy, that brings us to you. What's your next topic? Well, my question is, Sharon, in the preview, did you talk about clinch scenarios for the playoffs or no? Yes, we did. Okay, I don't have anything else then. That was my last one. (laughs) The the clinch scenarios? Okay, so... Uh, Mike, do you want to take that? Who, in other words, are you saying who's going to bake it and who's not? Yeah, I guess we don't necessarily need to go through the points of, of who's in and who's out, but I guess we could go around and give our thoughts as to who makes it in and who doesn't because I, it's definitely interesting on that cut line for sure. Okay, Mike. It's really tough to say. Obviously, the three drivers that everyone's focusing on right now are Matthew Benedetto, William Byron, and Jimmy Johnson. Those are the three drivers who are all less than 10 points separated from each other at the cut line. Obviously, something catastrophic can happen to Clint Boyer, and he could get bumped out. You can have somebody on the outside win the race, and now they're in, and now we got, you know, Benedetto and Byron and Johnson, or, you know, two out of those three are out now. Um, but, you know, if we're just looking back at Benedetto. Byron and Johnson, assuming we don't get one of those you know, unforeseen scenarios, my bet is going to be Matt Benedetto and William Byron make it in. Jimmy Johnson is unfortunately not racing for his eighth championship in his final season. Okay. Jay, your thoughts? I know we kind of ran down this the other night, and, yeah, there, there's several different layers to it as uh, what could happen as far up as Clint Boyer, uh, like Mike mentioned, but – I think when it comes down to it, I really do. I'd say Matt Benedetto again, especially with how good he has been on restrictor play, or sorry, super speedways uh, with the Wood Brothers and Team Penske, that I think he stays in. It becomes between William Byron and Jimmy Johnson. And I go back to the fact of a, a few years ago at the Roval, Jimmy Johnson wanted to win more than he wanted into the championship. He hasn't had a win in a while. He's still got his seven championships. And he showed he was willing to risk it. And I think that's where it comes into play. So I put Matt DiBenedetto and William Byron in and Jimmy Johnson out. Now, if uh, an outside driver wins, I think it's the same. I still think Matt DiBenedetto is the most solid in, uh, unless he's one of them that's involved in an accident or something. 
that I think then it would be William Byron and Jimmy Johnson that are out. Right. I know you guys mentioned a three-way battle here. I'm with you, though. Matt Benedetto has been so good on the super speedways. I don't see him uh, taking a misstep this weekend. I certainly hope not anyway. I'd like to see him in the playoffs. Um, I think Jimmy Johnson has the most experience in this scenario uh, going into a playoff and, and not necessarily having to race his way into the playoffs because usually he's pretty – solidly in there but he's good at Daytona he has uh, he's one of the top drivers with wins at that track uh with three wins at Daytona's uh, speedway I know it's been a rough couple of seasons for him but I think that Jimmy Johnson's going after that win this weekend and uh I the the, the other side of the sword because this is a very fine edged sword here uh the other side of that sword is that Daytona has a tendency to either be really, really good for Jimmy Johnson or something really, really bad happens and he ends up out of it. I'm voting for him being in. I know I'm alone on that, but I really think Jimmy Johnson's going to pull off the victory this weekend and race his way into the playoffs. So, uh, Andy, what are your thoughts? I know which, well, I know I picked him before you did. That's right, and actually, uh, looking at these these cut drivers, I was going to pick two of them. I've got so much confidence in Matty D that you know, had Mike not picked him, I would have picked Matt. And my second choice was Jimmy Johnson, Sharon, and you picked him. <laughs> so um, <laughs> those are the two guys that I have the most confidence in. For some reason, I just feel like William Byron's the most vulnerable out of the two, or out of the three, rather. But um, the beauty of this race and, and the reason why we all circled this on our calendars over a year ago when the schedule was announced is because anybody can win this race. And that's why I went with Ricky Stenhouse Jr., who has had a lot of success on the super speedways in his career. And we could very easily see somebody like that come out of the woodwork and win this race, earn that last playoff berth, and not two of those drivers out. And that's what makes this race crazy. And that's why it's going to be something to watch this weekend. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, you know, it, I mean, yeah, you, the crazy things can happen. And you know, looking at Boyer, he only needs three points, which you know pretty much means you can just mm-hmm. ride around and finish the deal and be good to go. But you know, what if he blows the engine on lap one? You just don't know. So. Um, it's going to be nuts, you know, and that's the beauty of this race, and I'm really looking forward to it. But um, I, I truly believe deep down that we're going to see somebody that hasn't won a race this year go out there and, and strongly contend for it, you know, and, and like a Tyler Reddick or a Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Eric Jones, prime example of somebody mm-hmm. that, um, you know, he's racing for a job next year, you know, and, and what better way to go out than, than win your way into the playoffs. So, um it's wide open, and, it, and that's the, and that's what's going to make this a lot of fun. But if I've got to to say who's in and out, I, I actually, I think De Benedetto and Johnson would be my two to stay in it. But honestly, could very easily see two knocked out. So you, you just won't, you just won't know. And looking, definitely looking forward to to chatting about this with everybody Saturday night because it's it's going to be uh, it's going to be pretty wild. It is going to be wild, and if I could just interject here, if I can just division, you talked about how excited we were to hear the announcement that the last race of the season would be at the Super Speedway of Daytona. 
I envision Ricky Stenhouse Jr. dancing with joy when he heard that announcement uh, because he is so good on the super speedways. So, uh, Mike, what are your thoughts? You know, I hate to say that I don't have faith in Jimmy Johnson, but I don't have faith in Jimmy Johnson for this weekend. Um, he was in a – I know he's got tons of experience. He's got a lot of wins at Daytona, but remember back to last year, Indianapolis was a cutoff race going into the playoffs. And Jimmy was in a very similar position, went in there needing points in order to point his way into the playoffs. Multiple-time Brickyard 400 winner Jimmy Johnson makes what he described as a dumb mistake, not even racing for the win, but racing for a mid-pack position, and took himself out of the race with oh, just a little bit less than half of the race to go. So recent history has shown that Jimmy Johnson's experience and hunger might work against each other to the point where Jimmy takes himself out unfortunately, by doing something that's kind of not Jimmy Johnson-like. Don't take this the wrong way, Mike, but I hope you eat your words on Monday. <laughs> Jay? Don't well, take it the wrong, I'm, I'm well, really, that's supposed to be funny, Mike. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm smiling. I kind of do, too. I don't, like I said, I don't want to be down on Jimmy Johnson. Uh, I am a Jimmy Johnson fan. You know, don't get me wrong. But recent history says, you know, if I'm putting money on the table, I I would not put my money on Jimmy Johnson this week, and I just I can't do it. Okay, Jay, what are your thoughts? I was going to say I, I'd have to eat right along with Mike. We'll uh, we'll get a, a big table <laughs> set up for us there. You know, that, like I said, you know, and Jimmy Jimmy has said it himself. He's going to go after wins and that over aggressiveness. I mean, we saw it when he went for a stage win earlier this year made a mistake not jimmy johnson like and it's just been that way for for too long uh, i don't see him rising up he has run better there's no doubt about that but we haven't seen the jimmy johnson the seven-time champion jimmy johnson that makes no mistakes so uh I, i'm kind of with mike and that, that's kind of what i was alluding to is he's doing it to himself well, Andy, I uh, have taken up my turn by interjecting, so I'm going to leave it to you to justify why Jimmy Johnson can do it this weekend. Uh, I, you know, I think it uh, just goes back to he's got he's just got a certain determination about him and his team this year, and I know they haven't won yet, but I just I have a I just have a really good feeling about him. And I have a really good feeling about him going out there and running aggressively and getting stage points and just putting himself in position to win. And I, you know, I think that this is, you know, the the unfortunate part about super speedway racing is you can either win the race or wind up on the rollback. But um, I just I just really feel like the team has some newfound confidence maybe that they didn't have in, in times past. And I just feel really good about him and feel really good about his chances. So. Um, yeah, I guess we'll know for sure in just uh, 48 hours. But I think uh, I think it's his year to make the playoffs and try to go get that championship. And, and, and I will JFJ. say something. What? Oh, I said uh, Andy's betting on JFJ to use a, a Kyle Busch type acronym. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> I got gotcha. you. 
Okay, um, I will say this. John, Jimmy Johnson's well aware of what happened last year at Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and I do think that he is is going to be on his toes this year as opposed to last year. And I don't, I really don't think we're going to see a repeat of that. So that's all I'm going to say about that. And we are at the end of the uh, hour here. So uh, let's go ahead and start our roundtable. And, Mike, we'll start with you. Yeah, Mike Orzel on Facebook, Mike underscore Orzel on Twitter. Uh, look for me. I should hopefully be in the race chat tomorrow evening for the Xfinity Series race at Daytona. I'm not sure if I'm going to be around for the Cup Series race. I've got some work stuff going on. Uh, but I'm going to try and make it as, as much as I can, or at least I'll be able to watch the races and be able to talk about them in the future. Okay, Jay. Well, my availability in the chat room would depend on weather. Uh, we'll have to see tomorrow night. I know we already had one racetrack uh, cancel out due to the weather and the thoughts and prayers with those mm. that are more directly affected uh, in Louisiana and Texas. If that pushes up into southern Mississippi, uh, my plans for Jackson Motor Speedway will be put on hold. Uh, then hopefully uh, I as well should be in the chat room. Uh, you can follow me on Michael Hoosman on Facebook, MoparMJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. And if not, it, you definitely want to watch the race one way or another. Okay, Andy. Hey, Lasky14 on the old Twitter, and uh, I will be able to watch all three races and talk about all three races in the chat room. So looking forward to it. And um, also, we haven't talked about it much, but looking forward to Gateway on Sunday. I think that uh, that'll be a nice change of pace from – the wild and crazy super speedway action the next two nights. So looking forward to all three series and uh, looking forward to partaking in the chat rooms this weekend. And don't forget the Arkham and Art Series and the Arca East are racing together at Gateway this weekend as well. And their race is taking place on Saturday. So uh, that's going to be exciting because you've got two, uh, Jay and I talked about it earlier, you've got two uh, series that are racing uh, together, and there are two really tight battles for first and second place. So uh, Ty Gibbs is the defending winner there, and that's going to be a fun race to watch, I think. Uh, Gateway never disappoints. So uh, if I can suggest that you guys uh, check that out on Math TV or become a member at the NBC Gold Track Pass uh, so that you can watch that race, I would highly recommend it. I am Fan for Racing site on Twitter and Fan for Racing blog and radio everywhere else, including fanforacing.com. And uh, we will have all of the recaps up at fanforacing.com. My plan is to be on the chat room for all of these races. Uh, I think it's going to be a fun, fun, fun weekend. And uh, I think we're going to be in for some surprises uh, what is it, the the joy of victory and the agony of defeat? I think we're going to see that happen this weekend. So uh, I will also go out and with a uh, big shout-out to our listeners. Thank you for tuning in uh, to uh, hear what it is that we have to say. Uh, for both our preview and our review show, we appreciate you for uh, taking that time. And uh, a big shout-out to our Fan for Racing crew here for everything that you do. Uh, Andy, I know, stepped up and uh, uh, was our co-host on Monday night's show. Uh, I gave uh, Jay a little bit of a break there on that. And uh, I was happy that Andy was available to be able to step in. 
And, Jay, I know you were co-host tonight, and I appreciate all that you do with the fantasy group and, and all of that as well. And, Mike, you always bring an interesting perspective. So uh, thank you guys for all that you do. Uh, I really enjoy our Fan for Racing crew. So uh, with that, I think we'll call it a night, guys. Sounds good, everybody. Have a good night. Good night, everybody. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.